from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 129. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, Eero, Encapsula, and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very good, Mr. Jason Snell. How are you? Good. Good. It's uh, it's more rain. We got the atmospheric river mm. here. Did you know? Have you heard about the atmospheric river? I don't know that phrase at all, but I knew that there was rain in California. B- basically, it's just referring to imagine a giant like uh, hose of water from the tropics spraying all over California. <laughs> oh, that's, that's nice of it. That's what that's what we have. Yeah, the tropics it's are being fine. very it's good. good to you. I guess I would. I w- uh, yeah. Because you need the rain, right? In San Francisco, totally need the rain. We had, we've had. Uh, this is this is the wettest year we've had in a very long time, and and it follows several of the driest years we've had in a very long time. So, so you yeah, might be able whole... to use your hose pipe in the summer. That'll be nice. I I might be able to plant some things. I think I won't, wow. but it's possible. Yeah, anything's possible. <laughs> you don't have the excuse anymore. You know, it's like, oh, I can't look after garden plants because they can't water them. They're keeping uh, a lot of the drought restrictions in place because the idea is that there will be wet years and there will be really dry years. And so mm-hmm. you want to just sort of not use a lot of water regardless because you need to save the water, yeah, for, for, for when it's dry. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I'll water a plant here and there. That'll be great. I'll flush my toilet. Woo. Fancy. Uh, there is a theme to this week's follow-up. The theme is me. Every piece of follow-up today is is related to me in some way, Jason. Interesting. I, I thought you were going to say there's a th- we've got a theme song for the follow-up this time. We <laughs> do, and, and, and uh, any moment Mike's now, got the follow-up. It's go. all about Mike. Follow-up. There you go. That's all we needed. Uh, I picked You're up welcome. one of those X1 mice, the Citrix mouse thing. <laughs> so you can use it with all your Citrix? Well, this is what uh, I thought, right? Like last yeah. time when I was looking at, looking at the Citrix page, it just kind of said that you had to be uh, using some kind of Citrix corporate environment. But then Jay Travers on Twitter let me know about a client called Jump Desktop, which is just like a you put the client on your Mac, you download the iOS app, and then you can connect to your Mac, right? Like something like Screens or something like that, just like a, right. a regular kind of VNC application. So when I found out about this and Jump Desktop explicitly supports these mice, um, I picked up one of the, the mice. I got. I bought it from Citrix directly, which felt like super corporate. Like they it is the only um, is the only thing that I can remember having bought recently that explicitly had a, had a screen to ask for my VAT information, which was huh. hilarious. So it's like it's super businessy. So it came and basically it works perfectly well. So I connected to my Mac on my iPad. It's super weird and kind of awesome. Like, I'm able to use a mouse and move the mouse around, and I can just interact with my Mac on my iPad as I was expected. The lag isn't that bad. It's way better than I would have thought. I tried editing a podcast in it just to see what that would be like. (laughs) The problem that I had was, like, a lack of gestures. Like, I couldn't very easily pan around and and swipe around um, because... The mouse isn't like functional enough to have a, all like the the crazy score wheels, and obviously there was no trackpad. But right. just so I used it today because there's this. This is one thing I constantly complain about. This there's like a set of emails that I need to send once a week that require me to pull some fields out of a Google sheet and email them to people. So I have to do this on my Mac because I need rich text support, so it keeps the table fun- like formatting. So today, I just grabbed the mouse and I opened my iPad. It was purely for a test. And I was able to do it all and send all those emails out. So this is very interesting to me. I mean, you know, if I was the sort of person that needed a Mac for some weird 
application of some description um, and was only kind of holding on to that but was an iPad person. Like, I would totally go with, like, a headless Mac Mini, put it in a closet and use this huh. mouse to connect to it. Like, if, if all I was using my Mac for was just, like, a weirdo application that only works on the Mac that's for my work and also, is like, to send these emails that need this rich text, then I'll, that's what I would go, do because this works perfectly well. Like, I just... I open up the first thing I do. Open up System Preferences and adjust the uh, the, the um, screen resolution <laughs> because the 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 five K iMac on the iPad like everything is minuscule. So like with yeah, the settings yeah, I can. have, so just make everything a little bit bigger, and then it works perfectly fine. Like it, mm. I was really super surprised at how well it worked, and I'm kind of a little bit disappointed that like I couldn't get. Uh, logic to work the way that I wanted because it was like, oh, I may never need to bring a Mac on the road to edit a show. Like, imagine that. Um, I will, I will note that I kind of like when I was digging around. Um, I was looking up at screens. Screens is my current favorite of these applications, just for like general stuff. Um, and I was kind of digging around, and, and I spoke to to Luke, and he is aware of these mice, but isn't it isn't very high on his list right now because not a lot of people have them, obviously. But what he did mention to me, which I'd completely forgotten about, is there is an in-app purchase in screens to turn a secondary device into a trackpad. So Like like an iPhone? Kind of, yeah. So oh. similar kind of deal, really. You know, like I could use my iPhone as a trackpad on my iPad. You know, like iPhone's trackpad and then screens on my on my iPad. So that's pretty rapid, are, but it is. It, but it's but so is using a mouse with your yeah, iPad. It's true. It's all wacky. Uh, it's just depending on what you're looking for. But uh, the, I was I'm very surprised at how well this works, and I'm thinking about like what other things do I do on my Mac that maybe I don't need to do because this mouse works surprisingly well. Like I've never really I've always been one to turn my iMac off but maybe I won't do that so much anymore because I don't necessarily need to be in the office to use it. Well, I do have that happen with screens the way I use it. Mm -hmm. I have a Mac mini server, so I do turn my iMac off, but the Mac mini server is always on. And I will occasionally from a remote location, I did this when I was in Hawaii. I needed to do something that I realized like I didn't bring a file with me or something like that, but it was on the Mac. And so I ended up, uh, you know, using the screens to control my Mac Mini to get the thing where I needed it to be so that I could get it on my iPad. And it was just, you know, it is convenient to have it there. I would say uh, my feeling about these remote screen interfaces is, is in my experience, it's always been sort of a last resort, sort of like how emulation was back in the uh, back in the old pre-power or pre-intel mm-hmm. days and the power pc days where it's like if you need to run windows software on a mac you can do it but you would never choose to do it unless there was no other sure. recourse and that's yeah, how course. i sort of feel about this but hey you know the when when um when you and marco were talking see it's almost like i'm segueing into our next bit of follow-up when you and marco were talking about the ipad and the mac one of the things you mentioned in that conversation was the walls like if you hit a wall and you can't uh, there's something you can't do on the iPad. One way to get past the walls is to have a window into some other computer somewhere, whether it's a, a virtual Windows desktop or it's a Mac server or it's a you know a terminal uh, SSHing to a, a, a Unix system. Mm-hmm. There are that's one way to get around the walls. In addition to things like web services, um, so. Uh, this is this can be a piece of the of the puzzle to, for example, tra- traveling with an iPad, not not like not having a Mac, but not traveling with it, but having it available in an emergency case. Because here's the thing: this is just a straight up Bluetooth device. 
right? Like all I'm doing is I'm connecting this mouse via Bluetooth. So it is exactly that. Any any developer in theory could build this support in. That is the thing that that bugs me about this. And this is I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that thing that that I've been complaining about for a while now, which is since Apple has broken the idea that there's no cursor because in iOS because you can 3D touch on the uh, on the iPhone to get that uh, cursor for text selection and insertion and you can two fingers down on the iPad to do it since they've already done there that that's like the seal is broken just support bluetooth pointing devices it's not going to put a cursor on anyone's screen. That's not going to happen. But if you support Bluetooth pointing devices, it means that apps that could use it for text selection or for moving a cursor remotely can do it. Nobody else is going to use it for anything, and that's fine. You you know, it, you can have it be that the default state of that device is that it doesn't seem to do anything. But if you're in a, a, a text editing interface that works with the two fingers down or the 3D touch, that it'll also work with a trackpad that you can select text and move it around. Or drive a mouse in a in a VNC app. Like why why not do that? Why not do that and have it be standard so that every app can just say yes, I want to register, you know, that device and use it. If you're if you're a Luke and you're doing screens, like yes, we will support Bluetooth pointing devices. Done. Not like we have to do something weird to support this strange Citrix mouse. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like it's just a thing that you can do. I agree with that. Yeah, and I don't think it breaks. I mean, the argument is uh, iOS doesn't need a pointing device. It's like, well, it doesn't need one, but you know, it already has an iBeam cursor for text selection. So just let people do it optionally. No one else. It will not break it if you don't have one of those. You will never. Nothing is broken in iOS by doing this. But some things could be made way better by by offering it as an option to people who care. So I, I I've I've actually added that one back to my like iOS 11 wish list. It's like, why not? What does it hurt to do that? And these this is a great example of what it helps yeah there are cases there are definitely cases yeah they're not a lot but there's some there's there's some we found two right we found two Mm -hmm. good ones and there are probably a few more but those are two really good ones that are text selection and driving a cursor on a remote screen so we mentioned it last week jason just alluded to it Uh, me and marco went head to head on the on our discussion about the future of computing it's a relay fmb side Uh, i put a link in the show notes to it if you want to go and find it um, and take a listen, which you should. I think it was a good discussion. We didn't really come to um, much of a resolution, but I don't think we expected to. Um, but there was, we kind of surprised each other, I think, about where we ended up with it by the end mm-hmm. of, the, of the discussion. Um, so I think it's worth checking out. And uh, as as we were joking, uh, we can now finally stop talking about it. Now, now, now we've come together. We don't need to talk about it anymore. You guys did the hard work of. I think in the end, boiling it down to the the your worldviews and the way you're using the terms, which was always my frustration in hearing mm-hmm. conversations about this, is everybody was arguing something slightly different. Yeah, yep. And so it seemed like they were at loggerheads when, in fact, they might actually have been agreeing, but they were they were you know they were using different terms, so it sounded like they were disagreeing. So you guys you guys seem to have a very similar vision about what a computing device of uh, you know, I was using in my Macworld article like 2025, what a future computing device is like. And then it's just a question of where do we, you know, what device leads there? And, you know, my my view is still that the iPad is far more likely to lead there because that's Apple's next generation. Apple doesn't need a Copeland 2025 kind of, you know, a new operating system for 2025. Uh, they've got one 
it's iOS. iOS is Apple's next generation operating system. So if Apple's going to design the computer of the future for a decade out, then I think it's going to be the iPad based on what we now think of as the iPad anyway, because it's far more likely that'll be iOS than some retrofitted version of macOS. But, you know, I can I can see all the all the sides of it. And 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 the other thing I would say about what Marco said is, I think one of his overriding concerns is he is a, he is a developer, right? He is a developer, and he's very concerned about like how do I get my work done as uh, as the future progresses. And you know, for him, it's going to be a very long time before he could possibly get his work done on a system based on an iPad. There are a mm-hmm. lot of steps that have to go into it to get to get to that point. And so I I get why he is much more resistant to that idea because for him, he can't be a person to make that move because he's got some of the strictest requirements of anybody. Um, if you remember my long-term saga now with my bridge keyboard, right? So Sigh. they sent me yep. another one. It wasn't working. It, exact same problem. Yeah. Same thing that happened same to me. Thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I have sent it back to them and I've asked for a full refund and they were very apologetic. Yep. It, it seems like we've we've got confirmation now that what they did was they had a a group of of twelve point nine uh, keyboards that were a bad batch, mm-hmm. and they. Uh, what's frustrating to me is that uh, you know I went through this, you went through this. Uh, they seem to acknowledge that it's an issue, but they they you know they knew it was an issue before, and they, they seem to did. have been unable or unwilling to pull those units off the market because they don't work or to test them to mm-hmm. see that they don't work. It's like I asked them, like, do you test them before they go out? Like, this is clearly an issue. And they were like, we don't. Yeah, and, and you know that this is an issue. You should yep. pull all of them and test all of them. And I think, uh, you know, you sent me that email that they sent you. It may be now that they've pulled all of them from their UK store, mm-hmm. like they've had them all shipped back. But um, but yeah, it, this, is, this is why when people ask me and when I wrote that article, I basically said, well, I got one that works and I really like it, but you know, it, it. I had two that didn't work, and you had two that didn't work, and so I don't. You know, th- so I can't really give it a recommendation. I can tell you that I've got one that works, and it's pretty nice. But you know, and their customer service was nice. But the bottom line is, I had this. I do you know ship things, get, get a box, ship it back, get a box, ship it back, get a box to get it to work right. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I I just say like, I know that you really like it, and I can see why, but. If you're thinking about it, I cannot right now at all recommend that anybody buy this product because yeah. it is it's insane. Like I, I I've had two of them. Yeah, because because they they had a they've had a severe production problem with their with their at least the 12.9 mm-hmm. that you know and there there are bad ones out there and they didn't seem to test them. Yeah, just between me, you and Federico, three people, mm-hmm. we've had five broken ones. So and it's the exact same problem with all of them. Like they just miss key presses. The one that I got that worked was literally the guy in customer service at the headquarters of Bridge said, "I have one right here. I have just tested it. It works fine. I am sending it to you now." <laughs> like that was what it took. The warehouse was full of the bad ones, and it's just yeah. At some point, you just gotta. I, I mean, I feel bad for them, but what are they gonna do? They're gonna keep sh- shipping those things out to people, having them be broken, and then paying to ship them back. It's like what what is going on there so yeah it's unfortunate 
because I think it's uh, got a lot going for it in terms of the technology, uh, the, the the design of the, the the clips, and the fact that you can pivot it to any angle. I think the the industrial design of it's really good. But you know, it's a keyboard. You have to type on it. If it drops letters, it's a a, a complete failure. So yeah, I think I think uh, until they. <laughs> Maybe they'll get their act together. Maybe they will replace all these products and then they'll make a statement or something like that. But right now, yeah, it's very hard to to suggest to anybody that they go through this cycle of, Mm -hmm. you know, hoping that they get one that's functional. Last quick thing. Uh, Relay FM is currently hiring. Uh, We are looking for a part-time remote administrative assistant to help us out with uh, some of the things that we do here at Relay FM. Um, We have some information up at relay.fm slash jobs. Uh, we are accepting uh, cover letters and resumes up until February the 24th. Um, we've had quite a few uh, great applications, so we're just going to be opening up until Friday this week. So if you're interested, please take a look and maybe send some stuff in and uh, never know where it might go. So thank you. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander for Teams multiplies productivity. It gives you shared knowledge and a shared knowledge base that you're able to draw from, that everybody in your team can get together to draw from. Because Text Expander helps everyone communicate quickly and accurately. Look, imagine a world in which everybody in your team is able to send replies which are worded by the best writers. You know, maybe you have a copywriter, right? And they have written some replies that would be perfect to send out to all of your customers. Well, imagine if everybody at their fingertips had all of them and all ready just to send out whenever they wanted. All you need to do is set these replies up once and you can ensure consistency every time. And if something needs to be updated, it's updated and then it's updated for everyone. Imagine that all of this text is immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. Also, what if you imagine them being on all of the platforms that your team may be using? Mac, iOS, and now Windows. This is what Text Expander helps you achieve. If used alone, just if one person uses it, Text Expander is a great little tool which saves you typing things over and over again. But together with your team, Text Expander is a platform for increasing productivity, communication, and consistency. I just mentioned that we're looking to hire someone, right? So I'm going to have somebody working with me. Text Expander is going to be fantastic for this. You know, like that. I if we have people talking to the companies that we work with, I want to make sure that they're going to be getting language which is consistent to what they've gotten over the last couple of years, right? When it was just just me speaking to them. So having text expander and text expander for teams will ensure that we maintain the tone of voice that we've worked hard to create. And I think that that is awesome, and I'm looking forward to using it when I need to. Go to textexpander.com slash upgradefm, so you have to go to the whole thing. As we said before, sometimes having the show upgrade uh, as your title of your show um, can be problematic with people's URLs. <laughs> so huh. this one is textexpander.com slash upgradefm. You can start a free trial and then learn how companies such as WordPress and Desk multiply their productivity using TextExpander. Thank you so much to TextExpander from Smile for their support of this show. It's funny. Get an email. It's like, uh, we have a slight problem with this URL. It's like, it happens. <laughs> it totally yep. happens. The name is a great name, but it can cause some issues. Yes. Surprise, Jason Snell. WWDC <laughs> has been announced. Surprise! Uh, very unexpected to get this news uh, in February. 
Yeah, isn't that nice? It's almost reasonable to give mm-hmm. people a lot of time to plan to come across the country. We're going to come back to this. With the world. But mm. surprise times two, San Jose. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to San Jose, California, everyone, from June 5 to 9. Do you know the way to San Jose? I know the way because Apple used to uh, have their developer conference there. So it's just a return. It's a return to San Jose for Apple. Developers are able to register for their place from March 27th at 10 a.m. Pacific, and tickets will be offered to people by random selection. You have about a week to get your application in, and then there'll be a lottery, and then people pick from the lottery can buy their tickets. So, in short, I was thinking about this, and while San Jose is interesting, and we'll get to maybe some of the implications of moving uh, the location, there's a lot here with this announcement in which Apple has given us exactly what we were concerned or complaining about last year. So we have got a ton of notice, like months of notice rather than weeks of notice. Travel costs are cheaper. It's cheaper to fly. It's cheaper to stay. So it's cheaper to fly, I've found, from people flying from Europe. Um, there are less flights, but they're definitely available. You know, like, There are less companies that offer flights, but my flights have been fine. And so you're, you're booking to San Jose Airport. Yeah, yeah. There, there are some Great. directs. British Airways offers yep. direct from London. Nice. Uh, flying into San Jose, um, the hotel costs are significantly cheaper. Oh yeah, um, I have found. Like w- I'm looking at like saving over a thousand dollars. Well, and there's a couple things about it. The um, the hotels are cheaper in San Jose, and the available hotels, sort of near the convention center are um, if you get outside of the downtown core and you're willing to take a cab or an Uber or um, to even be on the light rail line, you can, you know, it's even cheaper. So there are lots of, um, it's, yeah, it's flexible. It's a, it's not a, (laughs) it's not a tourist city. So in the summer, uh, you don't have the pressure on hotel rooms that, that San Francisco has. Yeah, I will say, like, uh, the hotel that I'm staying in looks nicer than the Park 55 where I usually stay in San Francisco yeah. and looks about as close. And, yeah, it, we've saved a ton of money on it. Oh, absolutely. Also, I'll mention the weather is vastly better in San Jose in the summertime. It will, be, it will be probably not foggy and probably 10 to 15 to 20 degrees warmer. So I can finally wear shorts in WWDC. It'll be summer in San Jose. Yeah, that's right. Even if it's uh, 58 and foggy in San Francisco, it will, you know, it quite possibly will be sunny and 85 in San Jose. Also, Apple are shaking things up a bit, you know, which which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, right, I think the number one reason they did this, because my initial thought was go someplace where you've got more space, right? More for more people. Although, you know, the argument could be made that Apple doesn't, even though Apple can sell out WWDC at any size at some point, you know, it, it doesn't really scale. You're going to have huge, are you going to have huge rooms full of people listening to these sessions? And you can't really scale the labs because the en- there are only so many engineers and there's only so much time for them to have those conversations. And this is not about that. The McHenry Convention Center in San Jose, which held this event for years, inclu- up to 2002, I want to say. I think the last event there was when Steve Jobs had the coffin on stage and did the funeral for OS 9, one of my favorite things that Steve Jobs ever did because it's ridiculous and it was it was great. Um, 
And uh, it's the same size as Moscone West, basically. Also, Moscone, people are getting confused. Moscone Center is undergoing some um, some renovation, the North and South uh, Halls. But the West Hall is open. Um, I cannot imagine that Apple could not have just stayed in San Francisco if it wanted to. I think this is... Um, so it's not a move for space, but I think it is a move for convenience for Apple. Yeah, I think this is going to be the new norm, honestly. Yeah, Steve Jobs wanted to, the the big stage of San Francisco, and they, he wanted to send the message like, "We're gonna, it's going to be a big deal. We're going to be in San Francisco. The world's going to come to San Francisco." I think that was very much a Steve Jobs decision. And now, um, you know, the convenience of it being close to Apple. Apple has grown. The event has grown. This is like five minutes, 10 minutes away from Apple. Whereas, you know, to go, it was either a very long drive or it was a long drive. And then people in hotel rooms in San Francisco, Apple people who are going to WWDC this year can like just make their normal commute basically. And so that it's way easier to get people there and back from there. Uh, much, much easier for them in terms of logistics. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's the reasoning behind this. And the one question I've got is about the keynote, because the last few years, you know, Apple already has been shaking this up. They put the keynote into uh, the Bill Bill Graham Civic Auditorium the last two years, which is a much bigger venue because they wanted uh, they wanted to be able to get all the attendees and the press and the VIPs into that event. Um, So and also that allows them to set up for smaller spaces in Moscone West without having to turn over that space uh, on, you know, after day one, basically. Mm -hmm. So my question is really what happens to that? What happens to the keynote and where does it go? I don't know about all the venues downtown. There are some theaters and things in downtown San Jose, but they're not, I would say, uh, not appropriate for something like this when you've got thousands of attendees plus press. Like they've done a couple at the California Theater, which is right around the corner, but that was a tight event for just press, <laughs> let alone thousands of attendees. They don't fit in that theater. I will say a short walking distance away from the convention center is the arena where the San Jose Sharks play. So if they wanted to just go full on like... What, what are the San Jose Sharks? They are a, a National Hockey League team, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, the Warriors played there when the, when their their uh, arena was being uh, redone. It is a it is a and the NCAA tournament has played uh, rounds there. It is a uh, basketball hockey arena and and concerts and things. So you could absolutely do the you know <laughs> big if you if Apple wanted to take over an arena to do. <laughs> A keynote, they could totally do that. Um, it, it could and be that somewhere else. Doesn't have to be how it sounds. Like you can like take over half of an arena, right? Yeah, like and can... then just block the other part off. Like yeah. In saying that they'll take over an, an arena doesn't mean that they're going to put twenty thousand people or have a you know it doesn't mean right. that. But it is a space that they could use. Yeah, it's it's flexible, and you could just put people on the floor. I mean, at Bill Graham, they essentially put people on the floor, and then they had some people right behind there, and that was the that was the whole thing. And they could do that. There may be some other venues around there. Um, we'll see. And then there's the question about like Campus Two, and could is there a space at Campus Two that they could use? Because you know, Google went through this, right? Google used to do their I/O at Moscone West, and they moved it down closer to the Google campus and they did their keynote at Shoreline which is a an outdoor concert venue and of course it's outdoors so people were like having to put on sunscreen and there was it was really hot so they were like worried about heat stroke and things like that but uh so Apple will have to figure that one out too because I, I'm skeptical about them putting the keynote in in the McHenry Convention Center they might do it but I'm skeptical I feel like they've they've grown beyond that now 
So how, uh, let me ask you actually, have you ever been to a WWDC in, in San Jose? I've been to many. Um, I started going to WWDC in probably 96, maybe. Um, and all, and I have not, I have not missed a WWDC since then. So I went to whatever that is, five or six of those in San Jose at the McHenry Convention Center. And those, that was a very different time. Like it was, you could get into any session you wanted. There was never a line Mm -hmm. really after they opened the doors, there were always seats available or maybe you had to stand in the back, but it was not, not like it is now. And uh, Apple would be like pushing people to buy tickets. Like they would contact developers and say, please come to WWDC again. That doesn't happen anymore. And we even did our, um, for Mac user, we did our uh, redesign that we did of the magazine, which was probably 96. We did that. Uh, we did our big event announcing it and showing the first copies and all of that at a restaurant in San Jose, uh, WWDC week. I remember that one pretty clearly too. So um, it's, it, yeah, it's 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 a part of, of my history covering Apple. Um, and it's a, definitely a part of, of uh, Apple history. So what do you think then? Do do you think that this is going to be a good location for it today? I think it is in the long run going to be a good location for what it is. I mean, it's going to be different. I think that's the the, the answer is, is it going to be good or bad? The answer is it's going to be different. I think, so San Francisco, San Francisco is a big city. I know technically San Jose has more people in it than San Francisco, but San Francisco's downtown core is is huge and incredibly urban. San Jose's downtown core is smaller and not as as dense. And San Francisco has a lot of things going on. It's got tourists. It's It's about San Francisco. San Jose, again, not trying to 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 make light of San Jose but just to say San Jose is a uh, a, a mid-sized city of which we have many in the US. It's got a nice downtown core. It's got a bunch of people who work there and then they go home at the end of the day. It doesn't have the kind of nightlife that San Francisco has. It doesn't have the tourist attraction San Francisco has. If you're somebody who is looking for that kind of vibe, you're not going to get it in San Jose so much, at least not as much, but what it does let Apple potentially do is take over the town for that week. Like, take take it over. Like Austin for South by Southwest, where it's just like everything that's happening in downtown San Jose for that week in the evening is WWDC stuff. And everywhere you walk, everybody you see is a developer. And that's not going to happen in San Francisco, right? There's just too much other stuff going on. But in San Jose, that can kind of happen. So I think that's going to be the difference in the vibe. It is a little more, you know, it's, it's less dense. I wouldn't say it feels suburban, but it is definitely less dense. It is a, it is a, uh, you know, it's not San Francisco. San Francisco is a unique thing, but the, 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 and there's good and bad with that. It really is just different. Um, and so done right, uh, I think that it could actually be really great and feel much more like a community event. Whereas San Francisco, you're kind of like popping out of the community, going through the streets of San Francisco, and then popping back in somewhere where the where the community is also in in little bubbles. Um, but when you're out on the street, it's the, you know, it's the cold, cruel streets of San Francisco. And in San Jose, it may not feel like, like the whole thing may just feel like like Disneyland for developers, right? It could be like that. I don't think it's going to be like that this year because I don't think anybody knows the lay of the land except old people who were there 15 years ago. Um, and I don't think 
everybody, everybody's going to be wanting to see what this thing is going to be like. But if Apple does it here in San Jose for the next few years, I think what you'll see is that kind of growth curve where people figure out what the best, what are the good venues and what's the best way to approach this. But this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a weird year because everybody's really starting new. So from the WWDC website, um, Apple said, take advantage of exciting experiences around the city all week and celebrate with an incredible bash on Thursday. Like, I'm really interested to see what this means. Like, are Apple going to be planning parties and stuff? If they do, who are they for? Like, do you have yeah. to be an attendee? My hope right. would say no. And and the yeah. reason I would say that is just because last year, Apple really embraced the community that is of conferences that are around WWDC. Remember, like, on the page, they had, like, layers and alt conflict. Like, they were on the page of, mm-hmm. like, the WDC page. I'm hoping that there, you know, that there's going to be something similar this time, that, you know, there will still be some other events that people are going to put on and that Apple will be kind of encouraging them as well as helping establish some of their own. I would really like to believe that they are aware of the fact that this is an event which brings people like me out, right? Like, people that are not going to get a ticket but want to be in and around the event. Um, and I hope that they do a good job of encouraging that between now and June um, to co- and show to people, like, if you want to still come to this, you know, just, just for the funsies, it's still going to be a good thing to do, you know? Right. I hope that that's going to be the case. That's the question is is exactly that. Does Apple, does Apple mean that it's programming the nights? And Apple programs stuff. Right, they pre- the, the the Apple Design Awards and mm-hmm. and stuff like that they do, and the Bash is always always there. They did the Bash at Bill Graham last time, so again I ask the question: What's the venue for the Bash? Is the Bash a showing off? If they, especially if they don't go there for the keynote, is the Bash a showing off tour of of Campus Two? Maybe um, I don't know, but the, also again I'll say there is that amazing arena not too far away. Um, I don't think it's any further away than Bill Graham was from Moscone, for example. And imagine a bash with a concert that is in a giant hockey arena. <laughs> that could be kind of awesome, actually, if you get the run of the place. And um, so I, I don't know. I, I think that it's a it's an open question. And Apple's participation is a good question because um, it, Apple could exert itself and say, "We're going to schedule this week," and you know. You can try to schedule things in all that are alternatives, but we're really going to schedule our attendees up and and try to take all their time. Or Apple could take that more laissez-faire attitude of saying, you know, we're going to do this much and no further, and then we assume that the community is going to fill in the blanks, and and that's great. Uh, but that's part of the question, I think, is going to be uh, people who have to put deposits down on venues and things like that before knowing what Apple's going to do. What is that? What does it all mean? So that that's why this year may be kind of a feeling out period where everybody's trying to figure out exactly where their things fit, where app, what Apple wants to do with this event. Because it's still, this is the beating heart of the Apple community. That's the only single unifying event that's left. Um, although it is focused on developers, still like Macworld Expo's gone. Like this is the big one. Is it, you know, what form is it going to take? this time but i do believe that that if apple gives it time and uh and is consistent with it now for the next few years that you'll see the same stuff growing up around it that grew up around the old one but right now this is like a fresh planting right it's just soil and the developer conference and we don't really know what's going to grow around it because we don't know where the we don't even know where the conference is going to grow and change and how you fit into it i've been to four wwdc's and i'm excited about there being a new place with new bars and new restaurants and new traditions. 
mm-hmm. because you know it's always fun to shake things up. Like it's getting a bit samey, right? Like you go to WWDC and you got this thing on this night, and you go to this place and you go to this restaurant, and you go yep. to this bar. Like these are the places that you go to, the places that you know. Um, and I'm excited about it being different again. Um, I'm upset that I won't get blue bottle coffee because it's like my favorite, but that's not there. Uh, but yeah, that's, it's it's still California. There's going to be great food and drink and coffee and stuff everywhere. And it's I'm mean, I'm kind of excited to explore this new downtown area. Plus, I kind of don't really like downtown San Francisco. Um, I don't know what downtown San Jose is like, um, but I don't really like downtown San Francisco so much. Yeah. So it might be nice to get a change of scenery. You'll 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 like it better. It's certainly different. Um, what I would say is, when you're in San Francisco, there is no mistaking you are in San Francisco. It's a place. Uh, it's a big city that uh, has its own unique vibe to it, and that's my knock on San Jose. Is San Jose is you know it's a it's a it's a city like many others, but uh, but it's it's nicer in so many different ways than San Francisco too. So it'll just be different. You know, I'm kind of cool with it though because downtown San yeah. Francisco means WWDC to me. So like yeah. downtown San Jose will just start to mean WWDC. Like I'm not going to do right. it for any other reason. And you know, it's it's kind of a cool thing. And then maybe yeah. in a few years I will want to visit San Francisco as a tourist again because I have uh, no desire to right. ever do that. Um, even though there's a lot more of San Francisco than I've ever seen, but I'm kind of just a bit burnt out on it, having been there every year for four totally. years. Yep. You know? Yep. What about you? Like you don't stay in downtown San Francisco because you just drive in on the couple right. of days that you might be in town. But San Jose, I don't really know California geography. I was very surprised to learn that it's five minutes from Apple's campus, San Jose. Like I had no idea. I don't know where anything is. Um, mm. So is is this much further for you? Like, and what are you planning to do? Oh yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot further. Um, back in the day, I would. I, a couple of times, I stayed in San Jose for a night or two. Um, I do remember staying at a, at like a hotel by the airport and then driving in and parking at the, at the convention center. I did that a few times. Um, it's a long drive. It's, it's one that I can do, but when I was doing those, it was very much like, uh, you know, I'd go to the sessions for the day and then I'd get in the car and go home. But if you're hanging around with people now, it's now it's now it's nine o'clock and it's like, okay, guys, I got to go drive for an hour and a half to home so uh for me it's just you know it, it means different logistics i mean i've stayed in san francisco sometimes for macworld expo i would stay for a day or two in san francisco sometimes just because it was impractical i try not to do that but so for this one i might i might end up uh getting a hotel for a for a night or two i haven't oh, yet you should um we'll see you should we'll see it'd be nice have, have the snell's have some time in the snell zone sure you know yeah, so we'll see. But if so, not, I'll just drive down the freeway. It's a long drive, but it's fine. Between now and June, there is the expectation that Campus 2 is opening, right? Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard anything about it other than that it's taking shape. The the the, the you know flyover pictures that I've seen of it seem like it's, it's uh, coming together. Uh, but that's all we've really heard. I do wonder about that. I've mentioned it before, like... Would there be an event at Campus 2? Because first off, you know all the developers want to see it. And you know that they've got a couple of of milestones there in terms of the keynote and in terms of the bash that they could do there. Um, They could also do an event like during the week that was a Campus 2 something 
where it was, you know, it was not necessarily a big event with a with a band or something like that, and it's not something with the press, but it's something just for developers. They could do something like that, an open house kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there are there are things I don't know what the like. We know that there's a big grass space interior to uh, Infinite Loop that they've used for they used to use. That's where the bash was. That's always where the bash was um, during the WWDC in San Jose. Is that on on what Thursday night everybody would take buses to Infinite Loop and go to the inside of Infinite Loop and there was a beer bash there. I I believe that is yeah. what it used to be. I do wonder though if like you want a bunch of developers to come and ruin your new lawn though, you know. Well, I think that I think you make a strong point there. So that that's my question is is there a space for something like that or is that just you know, is just that not on the agenda? And that's a big question. What about if they were to do the keynote there and simulcast it for developers? Like I wonder if that's the type of a thing that might happen. Right? Like so it's I it's, don't know. It's, the developers unfortunately have to go into a room and watch it, but the press get to be in the. It's developer conference keynote. I, I don't think they want to do something like that. They could do that, but I don't think they want to do that. No, they, that would that would suck. I mean, I understand how like there's always been like overflow <laughs> rooms and stuff, but at least you're in the same building. Yeah, but like I, I just assume that like if there is no event at Campus Two before then, I can't imagine how they wouldn't want to show it off somehow. Right, because when would the next one be? September that they would do an event there. Well, and two developers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think the auditorium at Campus Two. My my impression is is it's sized not for those thousands of developers, but it's sized for iPhone. the press and VIP and all mm-hmm. of that for an iPhone event, right? So I think I don't think that's in play for this unless it's much larger than I I, I think it is. If it is, then you know maybe, but then you got to get everybody there from San Jose. Um. Which means you got to run a bunch of shuttle buses and things like that, and they could yep. do that. But I think it's, you know, I, I think it's an open question about when, where Apple's next event is going to be. Are they capable of going to campus too for like uh, an iPad event in the next few months? I don't know. And David in the chat points out that, like, which I think is a, is a good call that maybe they will want to wait to have the tenth year the big iPhone, iPhone event. thing there as the first event. I can see that. I can totally see that. So there you go, ladies and gents. WWDC, June 5 to 9, San Jose. I'm going to be there. Jason will be there for a, for an amount of time. Um, I hope that we'll still see you there if you're, going, if you're planning to go. Uh, I think this could be a good year. You know, if you've never been before, um, this could be a good year. It could be a bad year. Like, But if it's a bad year, yeah. you won't know. So you might as well go. Right, like if you've never been there before, you're not going to know because it's the first time. But I think it could be interesting because everything's going to be shaken up and people are going to be uh, getting new traditions and stuff like that. It could be a good, it could be a good time to go. Yeah, it's it, it could be it'll be very different. And people will be figuring out new traditions will be started this time, right? That that's mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen is the old traditions are are done and people will miss them, but the new traditions will start. This week's episode is brought to you by Encapsula, the multifunction content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys, whilst also ensuring high availability. Over 100,000 organizations trust Encapsula every single day. From huge Fortune 500 companies to one-person websites, it doesn't matter who you are, Encapsula can help protect you. They have all the resources you're ever going to need to help your website load quickly, even if something bad is happening. And with their 24-7 operations team, you have that additional help there if you need it. You Also, you get a personal account manager 
and the best service level agreement in the business. You do not have to worry, Encapsula have got you covered. You're going to be well protected and your site will be lightning fast. As a listener of this show, you can get yourself a whole month of service for free so you can try it out. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash Upgrade. That is I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you can find out more about Encapsula service and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So last week, the Icon Factory uh, set up a Kickstarter campaign for Twitterific on the Mac. Yes. Now, I know that you are a Twitterific user, Mr. Jason Snell. I am. Not on the Mac anymore so much. I used to. I used to. And then finally it, it got so old and there were so many features it didn't support that I, I switched and I used the official Twitter client, which is not great, but I yeah. use it on the Mac. I don't think it's been updated since 2013, the, the Twitterific client for the Mac. I think just from like skimming over the, the Kickstarter page just now. That's what they say. Regular yeah, updates till 2013. Since 20, uh, and then in, in 2013 they stopped basically, yeah. And many people have, have asked and begged and pleaded and, and desired for them to make a, a new Mac client, but that hasn't happened. Um, and it's mainly because um, of Twitter's change in the way that they, they want third-party apps to be developed and also just economic changes with app development. So Twitterific has decided to, or Icon Factory has decided to go to Kickstarter for Twitterific um, as, I'm, as I guess as a kind of like a pseudo pre-order. So, you know, if they're going to make this, they want to know that there are people out there that are willing to pay for it. And in these times, the best way yeah. is to have a Kickstarter campaign. I mean, that's what we do for uh, Pen Addict stuff, right? We, right? we want to put on events, but we want to make sure people actually want them. So we do a Kickstarter, so then we're not in the hole over it. You know, like if we if we just recorded a video episode and sold it afterwards, we don't know if we'd recoup the costs. But by doing it this way, we know in advance if we can. Yeah, this is a great tool for something like this where I know the Icon Factory has been struggling with this idea. I mean, they they tried to do, they did new versions of Twitterific for Mac where they built like frameworks to try and translate the work they had done on iOS to get it to run on the Mac. I mean, so much work. They, they, they were so concerned about finding ways to to keep the Mac app up to date when it was clear that, you know, all their money was in iOS. And so in, in the end, and it's a very small company. In the end, uh, iOS is what got the attention and the Mac thing languished. And I think they hated that, but they were concerned. And then, oh, keep in mind that this is at a time when Twitter basically was saying third-party apps are going to go away. So they were like, all right, well, if we've got a limited, uh, a limited amount of space here, and as the creators of like the word tweet and the bluebird image and things like that, right? Like Icon Factory has special a special relationship with Twitter. Um, I don't know the details of it. I don't know if they've ever told anybody that, but I suspect there are all sorts of things that the Icon Factory gets to do, including use the word Twitter in their product name <laughs> that nobody else gets to do because they have contributed so much to Twitter over the years. Yeah, it's like, you can use the word we created, you can use the word we created, let's call it a day, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I, well, and I don't even know if they have tokens for, that was the thing that they did was basically Twitter said, you know, apps have a limited number of users that they can acquire, third-party apps, and then they're done. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure that that's the case with Twitter. But if it is, I'm sure they, with Twitterific, I'm, they, they may have a lot. But they, anyway, um, this is a special way to do things that wasn't available to them then, Kickstarter. And 
the great advantage of it is it's basically a pre-order. They're gauging the market's need for this product because what concerned them is as a small company, could they put the investment required in? And over the years, it's only gotten greater because the code base is that much out of further out of date. Could they put the investment in to Twitter River for Mac that was required to do it and actually make money on it, right? Or would they put in upfront thousands and thousands of dollars worth of work and then release it and nobody buys it? And that was the concern. It's like, what's the market for this? What can we do? So the, the Kickstarter lets them say, here it is. Here's what we're planning on doing. Um, if you if you order this in advance, you will get a you know you'll get a copy. You you pay a little more and you get on our beta. And we're going to build this thing if we get however much money they have. And and they, it's a seventy five thousand dollar goal with a hundred thousand dollar stretch goal. So. Um, I like that part of it because, you know, there are really kind of two outcomes here. One is they will get enough money to build the app. And the other outcome is it turns out there is not enough demand for this app. And then they walk away. And I think, in fact, in that scenario, I think they would probably walk away feeling okay about it, feeling vindicated in a way that their um, sort of abandonment of that app was the right business call because there's just not enough support for them to keep working on it. So I, I I like this idea. Um, if this was a random company, I don't think I would like it as much. But given that they have a huge history with building Twitter clients and they're, they're I signed up for Twitter because Twitterific was a thing that was created. Me too. And this Me is too. And, and this happened in the gap between when the iPhone was announced and when it was released. So it's ten years. So it, it, it was very early in Twitter's history that they that they did this. So they have the they have the background here, and I love their iOS app. It's not for everybody, but it is my window into Twitter on iOS. And I would love to see them come back to the Mac um, because there aren't any any uh, Mac apps for Twitter that really satisfy me at this point. I know, and don't don't send in your suggestions because I've got them all. I've got Tweetbot, I've got Night Owl or whatever it's called now. Um, I've got them all. None of them satisfy me. 9.32 p.m. on the 10th of February, 2007. Setting up Twitter, going to download Twitterific, and listening to This Week in Media. That was my first tweet. Yeah, so and my I, first tweet know, was something like insta- or, uh, testing out Twitterific, I think was my first tweet. I can find out because Twitter has a discover first tweet function. It's actually linked in my... Uh... Installing Twitterific. That is your first tweet. Yeah. That's what you said. <laughs> yep. So what do you think about this and what it says about the Mac software market? Like, can you imagine Icon Factory doing this for an iPhone app? Like, they just released an iPad drawing application out of the blue. Yeah. Right, linear. Well, I think I think what it says is that they're... Well, I think it says some things about the Mac software market, but I think it also says some things about the Twitter client market, right? I think I think what you see here is uncertainty that there's a market for a product. And with something like Linea, uh, or Linea, however Which is they pronounce superb, it. superb, by the way. It, it is amazing. Um, it's a drawing app. Uh, you can use the Apple Pencil on it. You can use your finger. It's very good. Um, I think they looked at that and said, that's a market opportunity. We can jump on it. We're going to make that happen. Like they, they have confidence that there's a market for that product. They may be wrong, but they have confidence that there's a market for that product. The the challenge here is is one, do people want Twitter clients? Two, what's the risk of ma- building a Twitter client based on what Twitter does, <laughs> which is is scary. Um, and three, it's the Mac, and uh, like just being in the Mac App Store is not going to 
solve your problems. Like you can make money on the iOS app store. It doesn't mean everybody does, but you can do it. Um, But on the Mac, it's harder. So I think it says, I think it says a lot about all of those things. Um, And, and as a result, I'm not sure we can take away like lessons learned um, Mm -hmm. uh, about like something other than this particular instance. So listener John uh, wrote in about this and said, do you think that this is a sign of slowdown in the use of this client or a resurgence of interest in the client? Um, I mean, this client, uh, I was about as a faithful a user as anyone for a long time, and I gave up on it because it just broke in so many ways. John Syracuse still has not given up on it he still uses it which is mind-boggling because there's so many things it doesn't support there are still a bunch of things it does really incredibly well and you could hack it i like changed the the font and the colors and stuff because you could just go inside the package and change the the colors which i really like to do i mean i loved it but it's um the twitter service has advanced so much in the last few years so i think this client has basically been dead I think Icon Factory basically treats it as dead. John Syracuse is not a good example of this, but if you think about it, it's basically a four-year four-year abandoned product, and they're not even talking about updating it. They're talking about writing a new version of it. Now they know they they've got an actively developed iOS version, so they've got some code they can use, and they know the service in and out, and they know the features in and out. But um, I think I think what this is about is. Uh, maybe a feeling that there's more stability in the Twitter client market than there used to be. That Twitter is is less likely to shut the door on on third party clients. Um, I think it's their desire to do this, but not fi- not thinking that they could or that they had the time to do it, let alone the resources to do it. Um, I, so I think it's I think it's those things. They probably hear from a lot of their users who miss it and don't and and like me aren't satisfied with the tools that are out there, the Twitter apps that are out there on the Mac right now. So I think they're you know. I think it's a, a, a combination of things. I'm not sure if we can extrapolate it quite as much to the rest of the market because the Twitter client market is such a weird thing. You know, um, uh, Tweetbot seems to be um, motoring along on iOS and Mac, and uh, and that seems to be a, a valid business for them, although I don't know any of the details of it. And then maybe, for all I know, the Tweetbot for Mac is a disappointment to them, but I don't think it is. I don't know. Tweetbot uh, for Mac is totally fine. Yeah. Like, as, so, as an application, like, it runs and works perfectly fine. And if I was the icon factory, I would look at it too from the perspective of what what they know about the iOS market, which is you're going to have people who use the default, and that's fine. And Tweetbot's there, but I think they feel like it, they've got a niche on iOS that's not being fulfilled on the Mac right now, mm-hmm. because people who like Twitterific on iOS and not Tweetbot on the Mac, people like me, they can't make that decision because yep. there's no Twitterific there. But if you're somebody like me, I'm much more likely to respond to a Twitterific style Mac app than I am to Tweetbot because for various reasons, Tweetbot is fine. It just doesn't, it just doesn't do it for me. It's just it personally, it doesn't work for me. It's a great app. It's got lots of features. I can't use it. So I think that maybe they're they're doing that, looking at the Mac market and saying there is a place for us there. We can build this client, knowing what we know about iOS and knowing that there are users out there who like our approach here. That's what we want to do. So, like for me, I and I guess there's a big market of people like me as well. I stay away, or not stay away, but I I I haven't ever switched back or seriously tried out Twitterific again because it doesn't have a Mac app. Right, because when I'm oh. on my Mac, I want it to sync up with my iPhone. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm using Twitter, you know, yeah, so I'm that not, sucks, that doesn't, that right? doesn't happen like, for me. You know, so I like, I don't w- care. with, with um, Tweetbot, I, you know, it's, everything's in sync and, and, and I like that. My timeline position, okay. my mentions, my DMs, everything's in sync. Um, and when you're used to that, Jason, I will tell you, it's, uh, it's quite a feature. Let me tell you. It's, it's never been important to me, but you care about it. And this is what I'm saying is sort of like, there are things people care about that Tweetbot uh, gives them and they love them and i you know whatever those things are i don't care about them obviously because it's not enough to i pay i've I've bought every version of tweetbot it just doesn't do it for me so i'm glad it does it for you and many other people so you mentioned about them rebuilding the application and the goal is seventy five thousand dollars and this seventy five thousand dollars is for them to build what what the icon factory is referring to as a minimal product which will take six to seven months um, and there is a list of features that are included in kind of that minimal product uh, but there is two stretch goals there's a one hundred thousand dollar stretch goal and a one hundred and twenty five thousand dollar stretch goal and i do have a concern that what i consider as far too many really basic features of twitter are behind the one hundred thousand dollar mark so i'll give you a, just a, a short list of some of the ones that i think should be in a what i consider to be a, a basic twitter client uh, direct messaging built-in twitter search uh, built-in media viewer of images, GIFs, or videos, built-in conversation and threaded tweet viewer, and built-in uh, viewer for user profiles and searching for and getting suggested users whilst composing a tweet. Like yep. all of those things I consider to be very basic um, from not from a development perspective, but from a what I expect out of a Twitter client. And my concern is if they don't match those that $100,000 stretch goal, if they don't get that, are these features going to be added at all? Like, could you be buying a Twitter client now for fifteen dollars, but they kind of hit seventy five thousand and they don't really make up the rest of the money? Like, how long would it be until you see those things? Would you ever see them? Like, would they hit that seventy five thousand dollars? But this is all the people that ever want this application. Like, they're going to back this Kickstarter, and then these things never get added. Like. I understand the idea of splitting development up and I'm sure that what they're doing is splitting things that are uh, important out and moving them around. But like, you know, like the things that are difficult to make, they're putting behind the other stretch goals. I get that. But I think that there are far too many things in this list, which I consider to just be basics of Twitter. Um, And and I get like, you know, there are people in the chat, I'm like, are DMs important? I think they are. I mean, again, this is my subjective thing here, but especially like looking at conversations, like being able to see conversations or tweets, like if you want to see a conversation between people or looking at user profiles, like searching on Twitter. Like I think there are a lot of these things here, which are what I consider to be very basic functionality of any client that I would expect, which are behind a $100,000 stretch goal. I think you are overthinking it. All right. Um, I, I think the way this is structured is it's Kickstarter structured. <laughs> it is, you got to have stretch goals. They are going to build this, they say, from scratch. They're not going to, you know, just update the existing client because it's too old. And in fact, the $100,000 and $125,000 stretch goals are for another major version that we'll follow up with. So basically what they're doing is saying, we're going to do this project in stages. And stage one is the basics. And, the, and, we're, and we can't, like, we're not going to wait to add all these features and then do a final release. We're going to do a first release and then we'll work on the rest. Now, if they don't make the stretch goal, I guess it's a question. My guess is that once they do all the work to build this app, they're not going to stop 
So my guess is that that next version is probably going to come anyway. There's a chance maybe that it won't, but I think most likely what they're really doing is saying, look, we're going to build this app in stages. Here's stage one, here's stage two, here's stage three. Yep. We need stretch goals for Kickstarter, so we're going to list stage two and stage three as stretch goals, and that's what they're doing. That's my that's my guess. Is you know, I think I think it is just as much uncertainty as any piece of software ever does, but I don't think it's anything more than that. I can totally see what you're saying, but all I'm doing is reading what the page says, right? So, like, and what it says is, if we raise over a hundred thousand dollars, we will follow up with another major version that includes these. Yep. Like, if they don't make enough money after this thing is funded, will those things ever be added? And that's my question. Um, and, and I'm not sure well, about that. I think what I'd say is the stretch goals are there because they want to mo- motivate people because they figure they'll probably reach their basic goal and they want to pe- have people keep developing, sure. uh, keep donating. And, and second, that. they want to keep the realism uh, you know, of a first version. Mm-hmm. And then third... I think that's a question you could you could literally ask about any app. What they're saying what they're saying here is we if we have that much money, we know we can build those. And if they don't, I think their intention is probably still to build those cuz why would they go through all this effort and mm-hmm. then have a basic Twitter client? But their certainty goes down a little bit because they have to see how much it's going to take and what the market reaction to the app is. Yeah. So, so, you know, I hope that's it's just like any app you buy a 1.0 and you hope that that they add the features that aren't in there yet and that's just part of the deal. But I mean really Kickstarter psychology you have to have stretch goals, right? And what what are the stretch goals going to be for an app like this? And the answer is the next version. I don't think there's any I mean what else can you do? That's that that seems to be it because you have to have stretch goals. That's like Kickstarter 101. You want to you want to push people when they're beyond what your basic goal is to keep donating because you want to get as much money up front as possible so i think that this is just a realistic thing they're they're not i think they're not saying if you don't donate a hundred thousand dollars we will cease development and never develop it again i don't i don't think that's how i read it at all well as as i say i definitely hope that's the case um i also find it strange that there is no not even basic like mock-ups of the application in this campaign like there's kind of nothing which is just it's a it's an interesting choice to me. Yeah, I, I no, find they, that kind of curious. I mean, they're not mocking up the product until they have the the support. I think I I think they're going on their on their track record, and uh, their track record is pretty good. So that's you know I I think it's I think it's interesting too. I think what they would argue is they could do mock ups now, but the amount of work that goes into building a real app with a real interface is the act of building the app and they're not building the app until they get the funding. So I, I, I think I get what you're saying, which is that the right way we talk about the Kickstarter one one the right way to do a Kickstarter of this is to have fake UI. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality of the icon factory looking at this is that they don't believe in fake UI. They believe in real UI. So they just didn't do any, but uh, you know, yeah, from a marketing perspective, some a Kickstarter expert would probably tell you in addition to having stretch goals to have fake UI mockups. They would, cause you mm-hmm. should, um, you know, like there's a whole thing in Kickstarter about prototypes and there is nothing in this project about that at all, Yeah, uh, which is a, a peculiar omission to me. I hope they make their goal, you know, if anything, I'm a TweetBot user and I and I would like Twitterific to keep existing because I have an affinity for the product. And, you know, as we always say about Apple, if you like something, you want it to have competition, right? So, you know, TweetBot is my client of choice, but I want Twitterific to be good so they can push each other forward. 
and I would love to be able to maybe dip my toe into Twitterific again, but I'm I'm only personally willing to do that if there is a, a Mac client which is which is updated. So I hope that they're able to make it, and I hope that in a year's time they're able to produce, um, or you know, in two, a year's like a year of development or something like that, they're able to produce an application which has got all of the basic features that it would need to to be one that someone could use every day. So we'll see. I uh, wish them the best of luck. You can go. There will be a link in our show notes. You can you can back it. I'm sure you've backed it. Oh yeah. You didn't put in I'm the million dollars that John Syracuse put in. I did not fund this at a million dollars. Okay, okay, that's that's true. There are two people. A... There are two people that put the five hundred dollar pledge in, which is I, I love that. I love that there are two people in the world that wanted this app to exist so much that they put five hundred dollars in. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and you get a bunch of stuff. You, you, you do get, like Icon Factory software and mm-hmm. little collectible things and all of that. I think I pledged at the hundred dollar level. Look at you! You I'm really want it. You're that guy. Look at you. Hey, big spender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jason, you can notice about Jason Snell, supporter of independent software. <laughs> yeah, and as you'll find out in last week's Clockwise, supporter of failed Kickstarters. Uh-oh. Or sorry, a supporter of successful Kickstarters that didn't ever ship anything. So, Uh-oh. you know, Uh-oh. it happens. Is this going to have the Snell curse to it? Oh, no. Are you, are you confident? But my first, I realized my first Kickstarter, I mentioned this on Clockwise, my first Kickstarter that I ever backed, funded, it's a it's a it's an animated film that uh, has not been released and it's been like seven years or something oh well yeah yeah i think i've had pretty good pretty good luck i have i have too actually uh but that was the first for your first one to be still not yet fulfilled is just hilarious (laughs) today's show is also brought to you by eero these days everything in our homes requires the internet speakers thermostats light bulbs front door locks security cameras and everything in between. And we're increasingly using streaming services to get our entertainment. Wi-Fi is the foundation of all of this in the modern home because we don't have cables running to every single one of our devices. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine cables like on all of your like iPads and iPhones and everything's just like this big like mess of yarn everywhere in the house? We don't need all that. Wi-Fi is what's there, but Wi-Fi itself is kind of a little bit broken because connections can frequently be inconsistent, slow, or even unresponsive. To get the best connection today, you need a distributed system that can provide you with a good, strong connection all over your home. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in just a few minutes. This has previously been a super expensive thing to do, but not anymore. Eero isn't just a simple extender. Every single Eero device has two radios inside, keeping your connection fast and everything in sync on one network name. There's an application that you download to set up, and this is on iOS or Android, and it will walk you through each step of the process. It's quick, easy, and painless. And then the Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand so you'll know how many devices are connected at any given point, as well as the internet speed that you're getting from your service provider as well. They do uh, great updates. All their security updates are done overnight, and it can all be done and kind of managed with the application. They have parental control stuff, which is also all in the app. This really is kind of like if you were thinking about creating a device to manage your network at home today, this is the type of application that 
the type of service that you would make. They have an application that goes along with it. The devices are really small. They're good looking, right? They haven't got like a, a ton of aerials sticking out of the top of them, right? They're just going to fit in at home, especially with all of the home automation devices that we have today. It kind of just fits nicely. A little puck, you can put it where you need to put it and it stays out of the way. It's, it's unassuming. The average house in the US is easily covered by between two or three arrows. So a three pack is a good starting point. But if you live in a large space and need more, you can add up to 10 devices in total. And because of Eero's 30-day money-back guarantee, if you buy a pack and there's one that you don't need, just send it back and you'll get a refund. If you want to find out more about Eero and get one for yourself, just go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And because you listen to this show, you can get yourself free overnight shipping. Just enter the code UPGRADE when you select overnight shipping at checkout and you'll get that added for free. Thank you so much to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. It is time for some Ask Upgrade, Mr. Jason Snow. Jacob wanted to know, uh, what headphones we use whilst recording podcasts, and is it worth buying a set of studio monitors? So I have used headphones that have been classed as studio monitors in the past. Um, I used the Sony, I think they're called the MDR750? Or 7506, that's it, the Sony MDR7506 headphones, which are considered to be, I believe, monitor-style headphones. And they were great for a while, but over time, kind of the, 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 the ear pad stuff started wearing off, and I was getting, like, pieces of black foam in my ears. But I was using them for a long time. They were fine for what I was doing when I had them. Uh, but now I use headphones called the Bayer Dynamic DT770 Pro which were recommended to me, uh, a friend of the show, Marco Arment. And oh, no. I, I really like these headphones a lot. They work very well. They're very comfortable for long periods of time. I will say about the Sonys, they became uncomfortable after after long use. Um, like they, my ears would get really hot and like itchy, right? Like they, they weren't very yeah. comfortable. Uh, but I do find these ones to be comfortable. Like I, I wear them for hours and hours and hours a day. Um, and and I have a really good uh, use out of them. Plus, when I do want to use them with with music, um, they sound fantastic as well hmm. because I do do so, that sometimes. So my I use a pair of uh, Ultimate Ears in ear monitors with the custom silicone ear yep. tips, so they go in my ear. And that, I don't is it worth? I don't know what it, what it's worth. I'd say the most important things if you're if you're recording podcasts are to have a set of headphones. One that's step one. They need to be comfortable for long periods of time if you're recording for long periods of time. That's step two. And they need to isolate the audio so they don't leak out. So no open earphones. Earbuds are not really great. Headsets are not really great. Anything where the microphone on that you're using for the podcast very easily can pick up the sound of the other person talking in your ear that's leaking from it. That is a terrible setup for podcasting. So I think yep. that's my number three. So comfort is important and and having them is important. But the next thing is also not having them kind of leak into the into the outside world. They need to be a closed Definitely. system, whether you're, you know, in the ear like mine are or over the ear like Mike's are. Most definitely. That that's what you need. You need like super in ear like Jason has or like good over the ear. Um, as long as you've got one of those two, then you're gonna be fine. But they're the ones that we use. Yeah. Brent asked, Do you think that the next iPhone will come with a three point five millimeter to lightning headphone adapter like the seven does? I don't. I think this was a one time thing. Hmm. Right? Like now we should be used to it, otherwise you buy one. What do I you give think? I I I say maybe fifty fifty. I think it's possible. That that adapter can't cost very much. 
Um, I think maybe one more go. You got to think about the upgrade cycle. It's a two-year upgrade cycle, so you're going to have people coming in for the uh, for this fall's iPhones who are coming from from two previous, you know, two generations ago, not just the one. And as a result, I think it might be a two-year adapter cycle too, just to just to get those people and be nice to them, like like Apple was nice to the people last fall. So that's why I'd say it's sort of a 50-50. I, I see the other side of it, which is just, nah, one-time deal. Uh, we moved on. Nobody cares anymore. We're just moving on, and you can buy an adapter if you want. But I think it's also a pretty reasonable scenario that they just do it for two years, and that's the transition because yeah. that's the average age of a of a, an upgrade. I think with those two scenarios, it's just what do you think? What do you think the original reason Apple was doing it for? Like, I don't know what right. it is, right? If it was... Is it PR cover or yeah. was it to help people who have legacy headphones? And depending on what side of the fence you fall down on, depends on which argument you go for. And we will know in September. What flip the a reason. coin. That's, that's why I say flip a coin. <laughs> yep. It's it that really reason is, is that I'm not really sure which one will win out, but those are the, that's, that's exactly it. Talking about the future of computing, Brando asked, do you think that the future of computing could be something like the Nintendo Switch where you just dock a device and then, you know, plug it into a monitor and could that be okay. a smartphone? So I thought about this. Uh, there's like a whole article I want to write about this mm-hmm. and, and we should probably talk about this more. My short version of it is, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that if everybody's got a smartphone and the smartphone's got an incredible processor in it, that what you really could do is just dock it to other other form factors you don't really need like an ipad right you just have your smartphone and all that and i start to think about it i'm like that makes total sense like wherever i go whatever screen i find all my data is on my smartphone and i will be able to pop it up on a bigger device however when i start imagining what that bigger device is it's like okay well it's got to be a touch screen right it's got to it's got to be a pleasant high quality high resolution touch screen device and i start to think about what that device looks like and i think it looks like an iPad. And then I think, if you're going to build a device like that, would you not just have brains in it too and have it syncing to the same cloud data store as that you're syncing on your smartphone rather than having it drive it remotely from your smartphone and have to worry about it, the smartphone battery and all of those things or plugging the smartphone in or plugging a cable in or things like that. And so I go back and forth in that because I, I firmly believe bigger screens are part of the working experience. Um, I, I don't think people are going to get their jobs done on a six-inch screen. But that, you know, when I start to think about the scenario of creating that external touchscreen thing that gives you that space, but it's being driven by your smartphone, I do very quickly start to ask myself, why would you not just make the screen smart and and have it be its own device that can be operated independently of the uh, the person with the phone? I don't know. Yeah, I've for, for many years I have like wondered to myself what it would be like to have that device. Like I remember a long time ago there was a device that uh, Motorola made. I think it was Motorola called the Atrix. Yep. And I was I remember like whenever this was and whatever technology podcasts I was doing at that point, I was kind of fascinated by this product. Like this, this, this product that you would just plug into a bunch of different things, and it was just like the one device that you carried with you. Like yeah. I, I've always been kind of like taken by this idea of like you just have this brain that plugs into uh-huh. docks and it plugs into tablets um, or like laptops. Like it's always been a, a something that's 
that I thought could be an interesting thing. But like you, I, uh, you know, as you say this, and as I've thought about it over time, like I wonder if by the time we get to a point where smartphones will be powerful enough to drive all of that stuff convincingly, will networking and cloud solutions just be so powerful that we don't need that? Right. I mean, that's that's uh, that's where I come down. I can see both sides of the argument, but that's where I kind of come down is if if as the stuff advances and I look at those big screen things, I mean, I can see the value of things like, OK, well, what about in a computer lab somewhere or someplace where where the big screens are shared? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you want wouldn't you want to be able to have just walk right up and have it be your stuff on there? And it's like, yeah, but even then would if that attack advances to that degree wouldn't your phone be able to provide the uh the data that it needs to know that it's you and then just go off on its own i think in the end maybe the distinction between devices and your personality fall away and it's just whatever screen you use is is smart and knows it's you and shows you your data and the idea of like well what device am i using here kind of falls in the background it's just like any any device sophisticated enough to be that big screen seems to me to be sophisticated enough to not to be to not need to be remote controlled by another device it's so it's sophisticated enough to be itself and use your data rather than like be a you know it's this incredibly sophisticated touchscreen display that is so dumb that you need to plug your phone into it for it to work. I just, I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah. It's possible, but it, it just seems to me that that the way the world is going, it won't be um, so fiddly. It'll be like, you know, everything is, every every screen is smart, basically. Parker asked if either of us have had to replace the tip on our Apple Pencils yet. So you, you, can, un, you can take the tip off and there is uh, one that comes in the box, an extra one, or you can buy extra tips from the Apple Store. Um, I haven't needed to. I mean, I don't know how often you need to use them to make that change, but I'm sure at some point um, you would, right? Like, I can imagine you could wear it down, but, like, I don't know how long it would take and how much use it would take to do that. And if I haven't, I'm very, very convinced that you haven't needed to. It's certainly not. Yeah. So I don't know how, how often it is you need to use them, but, like, I do know, like, my Wacom, um, I haven't yet, but I need to replace the tip because I've worn that tip down. So I, I don't know if maybe it's made of different types of material, different plastic. Maybe it's more resilient on the Apple Pencil, but I haven't needed to change it. But I can um, I can see how somebody would. Over time, it would wear away, but I don't know how long that time is. And Matt asked if I had a recommendation. People ask me about this type of thing quite a lot, so I want to include it today. For like a four-port USB charger. Now, he asked for UK, but this product is sold in all different countries all over the place. Um, it is the Anchor 60 watt six port family size desktop USB charger. This thing is amazing. Uh, Stephen had one of these a couple of years ago, on, on I think we were in WWDC, and I immediately bought one. It is just a thing that you plug into the mains, and you have six USB ports that you can plug into. And this is so fantastic when you travel with another person. If you're both like heavy on the Apple ecosystem, like me and Adina, we need at least five uh, Lightning chargers, right? Or like, well, mm-hmm. we need. Two, one each for our phones, at least one iPad, and then two Apple Watches. And you just don't get that many outlets in hotel rooms. Um, And this I find to be nicer than taking a strip because I just have a bunch of cables that are permanently connected to this thing in my travel bag. And then wherever I'm ready to go, I can plug it in. I can just use a travel adapter if I need to. I can plug it in. It's a fantastic piece of technology, and I recommend it to anybody that travels. Cool. 
So there you go. Do you have anything like this? Uh, no, I've got a power strip that's got two USB ports on it, yeah. and that does me fairly well. I, I uh, It's one of those things where um, flexibility with having multiple devices in the kids, it's actually better to have some that are on on their own plugs. Uh-huh. Because, but also, you know, I'm not changing most of my travel. I'm not changing plug types. For you, the advantage of something like this is you can get one, you know, plug adapter into the wall in whatever, you know, in the U.S. And you get all of those USB uh, out to charge. Whereas if you've got individual plugs, you have to adapt the individual plugs if you change countries to a different plug style. So, uh, but I don't, um, I don't have anything like that. I've thought about it, but I don't at this point have anything like that so we are now uh completed the regular episode of upgrade the, the what you have come for potentially is now done and we are about to get into mike at the movies the terminator is our mike at the movies pick this week so this is fair warning if you have not yet seen the terminator and want to avoid spoilers this is the time in which you would switch off um, but we're now going to do uh, a sponsor horn i guess and thanks Squarespace for supporting this week's show. Enter the offer code UPGRADE at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Hey, make your next move with Squarespace. That idea that you have rattling around in your brain, Squarespace is there to help you. They'll let you easily create the website that you've been wanting to make for that thing you've been burning to put out into the world. And with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more, They have all of the tools that you need to get all of that. Maybe you're looking to create an online store to sell your wares, physical or digital goods. Maybe you're looking to create a portfolio to display your artwork. Maybe you want to create a website for your restaurant or business. Maybe you're looking to create a blog because you have some great ideas and opinions you want to get out into the world about whatever it is you're passionate about. Squarespace is the only one platform that lets you do all of that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace have got you covered. Their pages are really easy to build, a drag and drop page building system. It's super simple. Just drag in different blocks and you have like galleries available to you or maps available to you or images. And it's really simple to make any edits to the style of any of their beautiful templates. They're all professionally designed. They're all responsive, so they're going to look great on all devices, and you can make nice changes to the colors and the fonts very, very easily. They have 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and you can also grab a unique domain name with Squarespace as well. Their plans start at just $12 a month, and you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card needed by going to squarespace.com. Then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code UPGRADE to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thank you to Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. All right, now let me get my uh, my secondary notebook out here because yes. I've taken some notes today, Jason Snell, about the movie that we watched. I've got a brand brand new notebook that I broke out for the Terminator. Today. It is the year twenty twenty nine, the far off future. That's how it starts. Uh, would you like yeah. to... Let, should we do it in a regular fashion and I tell you what I thought I knew about this movie before I watched yeah. it? Let's do it. I'll be back. I I'll expected back. that to be in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I believed that the Terminator was a robot slash cyborg slash alien uh, that came <laughs> to destroy so- the Earth... That's a lot of things. Well, like it was like, you know, I was thinking it's all of those things. Like it is an alien that's from another planet, but it's uh-huh. like a robot cyborg thing. Oh, you know? okay. 
Cyborg. Uh, John Syracuse would tell you Cyborg is not a robot. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I believe that that the Terminator came to destroy the Earth. Um, I knew that it stole somebody's clothes at one point, Uh, maybe a motorbike, and maybe their skin. I wasn't sure about that. Like, I wasn't sure if it had its own skin, the Terminator. Interesting. Um, I believed that in this movie, the Terminator found a heart of gold and saves the day from some other big bad you uh, are after mixing, seeing the yeah, good Terminator, in humans. Sir, so you're mixing up... Uh, this is the, we, we have a pre- prelude to this last week when we talked about this movie, which is you... I think a lot of your knowledge of the Terminator comes from Terminator 2. It definitely does, because yeah. <laughs> this doesn't happen in this movie. No... And the Terminator action figure thing that I had looked not like this Terminator. and Like, it was the one with, like, all of the face melted off and you see all of the metal. I think it's Terminator 2 Terminator. Yeah. Because um, there was no Hasta La Vista baby. No, nope, that's Terminator 2. And that's, that's right. what my action figure would say, because it was one that yes. made sounds. Yep. So it was... Uh, I, I'm definitely... So the movie that I thought that I'd seen as a kid, or that that's I had Terminator seen as a kid 2. but didn't remember... Terminator 2, because I was yeah, also was a waiting huge for hit. him helping out a child, and I now know who that child was, um, mm. and yeah, turns out, not this. No, this is, this is, hey, many people, including me, experienced Terminator 2 having not seen the Terminator. I didn't see the Terminator until much after I saw Terminator 2, because that was a huge summer blockbuster hit, but uh, but this this much more moderately priced moderately budgeted film from 1984 is where it all started so would uh, actually first is this one of your favorite movies no i've seen it a few times and i i like it um i also think it's worth seeing if you've seen or plan to see terminator 2 i think it's a very interesting film um and kind of a classic, but it's not one of my personal favorites. So would you... I I, I think it's best to, to not uh, not hide these things, you know, like to, for me to just get it out in the open about how I feel about this movie, and then we can talk about it. Let it out, Mike. Let it I didn't out. like this one, Jason. Really? Didn't like it at all. I really, really just did not enjoy this movie. Um, the music is horrific, like so bad. It sounds like it was made on like a Casio keyboard. It's you terrible. Know, there is some good music in here, but most of it is terrible. Yeah, I may have not I, and, noticed the good stuff, right, because it was good, but I really noticed the bad stuff because it was horrific. It, it is it is of its time, and I, I think my argument would be in its time, it wasn't very good. Yeah, I mean, because I like feel 80s differently music. About it, but. Like, oh, think of all of the movies we've seen. They're all 80s movies, and I've not criticized it. You're thinking about 80s pop music in movies. This is 80s soundtrack synth music mm. where we were just talking about this on the incomparable for castle in the sky which is from 1982 something like that 1986 it's 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 a early to mid 80s movie and it's got a few moments of that same thing where it's like diddle, 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 and you're like really <laughs> are we playing a really bad video game all of a sudden like i have one point in my notes for the terminator basically like um this is this is terrible action syntho pulse music like I, I wonder how much better this movie would feel if it was more traditionally scored than it is. 
like Terminator 2 is more traditionally scored. Um, right, okay. But there's a lot of synth music here. And, I mean, this is a very 80s movie too. But yeah, I, I, I think the music is a big problem in it myself too. It looks weird to me. And I don't know why this is. So when I was watching the movie, it felt like a long TV show. Hmm. And I don't know if it's like there's a lot of shaky cam in this, um, which is a peculiar choice. Um, and I don't know if it's maybe like I'm watching some HD reproduction. Like it definitely hmm. was a HD reproduction. I don't know if maybe something is it in there. Yeah. I bought it from iTunes. Uh, it was shot, but it w- it was shot on. Uh, was it shot on 35? It might have even been shot on 16 millimeter. It's grainy and and dimly lit. And a, I mean, it's. I wouldn't call it a low budget movie, but it's not a blockbuster movie. And Terminator 2 is a big budget action movie. In some ways, helped mm. define the modern big budget action set piece kind of film, um, it, because it was so successful and and it had the you know it had the CGI Terminator and all of these things in it. And this is not. This is a a modest budget where you know set in the in 1984 where there's a girl, just a, a regular girl who discovers that she's part of uh, of this catastrophic event in the far future and uh, and is being hunted for as far as she can tell no reason at all and so it's dark and there's like there's cops and there's a you know there's a serial killer that's the phone book killer they talk about that's killing people named sarah connor um it's not if you if i went through this if you watch terminator 2 and then you go back to the terminator expecting like more of the same you're like what because arnold schwarzenegger's in it linda hamilton's in it but it's not the same kind of movie at all. The makeup and special effects aged terribly. I will pick out some things when we go through some of the yep. moments. Okay. Uh, there are some bad plot holes slash common sense problems, which really annoyed me. Um, because okay. It's it, a time travel movie. They're going to be bad plot holes, but common nothing sense Nothing to do with time travel, it. right? Like, <laughs> common sense is a good way to put it. Yeah, those I are let the, the time travel yeah. stuff go because time travel timelines are always full of issues. And just yes. like the whole problem of time travel movies, like it's just a huge plot mess. Just doesn't matter how it's done. It's always an yeah. issue. Like if you try to think about, about like, the timeline. Why did this human being do this thing? Yes. Nobody would do that's that. That's why thing. I wanted to yeah. state like common sense problems. Yep. That's a great way to put it. And I think some kind of not good performances throughout. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right. So we start off with space war. Yeah. In tw- in the far future, there are uh, there are horrible. There's a horrible like machine war going on. And there are models. We- there are lots of models used here that that yeah. are space vehicles. Well, this is what I'm considering at this time space vehicles. But there are Earth vehicles. But they're future yes. vehicles. Future. Um, they didn't look good. Uh, and this is a problem with HD, right? Like, I can't fault the movie for this. Well, but, you know, on the, on the big screen, you would have seen everything and more that you saw in HD. Then they're the, just terrible. The, like this In the movie theater, yeah. Works for Star Wars, right? In Star Wars, and I know that it's all different. Like, But in Star Wars, it's the same kind of thing, right? It's just small models that they're using. Yeah. But it, I can be fooled by it. In these, I'm like, this just looks like toys. Like, they do, like, a close-up of these, uh, like, these tank tracks, and it just, like, just looks like a toy to me. Um, I don't think that that looked very good. Um, yeah. And then I guess we start off with like the big scene, <laughs> naked Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, 
He falls to the ground, and oh my god, do you see more than I expected to see? Mm-hmm. There is a lot more of Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie mm-hmm. than I thought there was going to be, Jason. Nobody mm-hmm. prepared me for that. <laughs> Give I me your clothes. Uh, yeah, uh, th- that that I saw more Arnie than I expected today. I knew he would be naked. Um, I was not expecting that much of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, oh yeah. But you get it. You get it. And mm-hmm. uh, he got clothes from like some punk kids, which again, another thing. I thought that he got them from someone in a bar. It's just one of those things that has become Terminator like, two. pop culture. Mm-hmm. Terminator 2. Um, then uh, another naked person appears. Yes, Michael well, Bean shows up as Reese. He gets some 80s clothes of his own. Yep. I will just mention uh, first name Kyle, because in my notes I refer to him as Kyle a lot, because I checked IMDb. Yeah. And like before, I before the characters, you know, because I write my notes right, and and I saw the name Kyle, so I wrote the name Kyle down a lot. But Kyle Reese, uh, he he comes and he does not look in as good a shape as Arnie, you know, oh, yeah. like he's got scars all over him and stuff. So something something's gone wrong here with our mm. friend Mister Reese. Uh, this is where the music is super bad. It begins oh, yeah. like being super bad. It, it's as I said, it sounds like a cheap Casio keyboard, like when Kyle was being chased by the police. Also, at this point, whenever you see Arnie, the music is like this, and it sounds uh-huh. to me like a train running on tracks. Hmm. If you've ever been under a bridge and a train yeah. goes overhead, yeah, that's what Arnold Schwarzenegger sounds like, I guess. That's his theme. The this also where we meet Sarah Connor, who mm-hmm. I just wanted to say because in my notes I I have this that th- this is she looks as eighties as a person could be. She has she is wearing acid washed guest mm-hmm. jeans. Mm-hmm. She is the eighties personified here. And so I guess when we meet Sarah Connor and she's uh, she's comes into the movie, you realize something's about to happen here. I think we're about twenty minutes in to the film. Yeah. And I have literally no idea what's going on. Right. And I know this is the I guess this is the point, but like I'm like, have I missed something? Like I have no idea what is happening in this movie. I don't know who or why any of those people are here. You know, like you, you kinda get nothing. Um and then this is the point when like you start to see a lot more of the evil intentions of Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's trying to find someone called Sarah Connor and he goes to a house and he kills a woman. But it's not the lady that we think it's gonna be, right? Um, and then you kind of realize at this point that he is going through the phone book or like he's trying to find yeah. Sarah Connors and he wants to kill her. Mm-hmm. Right? But unfortunately started off with the wrong person. Um, I I found it kind of funny like when <laughs> when the because Sarah Connors is in the worst diner of all time. Everyone is really horrible there for some reason and wants immediate oh, service, which doesn't happen. I don't know if this really happens anywhere. Like everybody's screaming yeah. for service all at once. I don't think this is a thing. But her friend comes to get her to show her the news report about mm-hmm. someone with the same name being killed. So like, I don't think that this is a thing. That like yeah that you would like come and look at this and she's like ah this is crazy. I don't think this is like a thing that people would really pay people that much attention to. Do. Yeah, and then I there are like eight people sitting around the TV screen watching it. It's like really, like this seems like a a real, a real thing to kind of hang your hat on. Uh, then there's kind of flashbacks where we then find out that that are uh, the other guy, the the hurt looking guy. He's a, a fighter in the isn't a soldier in the space war, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, 
there is a there's some this is when I talk about bad acting or bad performances. This mm-hmm. is one of them. So he is running through these trenches with a with a comrade, and they're trying to take down this thing, which I can only this- kind of describe as a as an at-at, right? Yeah, and this is this is the flash forward. There's a brief flash forward into the future. Mm-hmm. And they're throwing these grenades at it, and uh, he throws one and runs away, then his comrade is shot, and then he's kind of just like nonplussed by this. He's like, ooh, and then just carries on. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. I'm assuming there's some kind of relationship here, like friends at least. That had to hurt. It's like, I got stuff to do. No time to waste. Um, yep. And I, I just found that like a really, because they, they took enough to go to his face for him to give a face reaction, like a facial reaction to the death uh-huh. of a teammate, like a, nope. a soldier. But he's like, nah, whatever. I've got, I've got to get out of here. And then like another one, like he then jumps into a car and then that person's killed. And he's like, just gets out of the car and leaves. Like he, he does not care for, for people getting killed. And then at the we go to the, then we're back in the modern day again, uh, or the current day. And the, yes. we go to the police station where we find our police officer who's seen it all, you know, like uh, he doesn't care uh-huh. about any crimes because he's seen all the crimes. That's uh, right. This is Lieutenant uh, Traxler. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, he's, but once it's explained to him, he's never seen a phone book killer before. I love it. It's like, ah, killer. I have no time for crime. I've seen all the crime. Uh, but he's hard-nosed, but was, was concerned about this one. And then yep. our Sarah now is on her own. Is that is that Lance Henriksen? I think that's... Is that who that, that is? That is um, Paul Winfield. Uh, Lance Henriksen is the detective. It's Paul Winfield and Lance Henriksen are the, are the cops there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Both both actually really great actors in little bit parts. Good character actors. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like the cops. They're totally not prepared for what they're going to get here. But I do, I do like the cops there. So then Sarah and her housemate and I seeming best friend Ginger like to a nightclub. Technoir! The swingingest nightclub. Oh no, we're not at Technoir yet. Technology theme, not, no, oh come on. Okay, not, fine. We're not at Technoir. I'm so excited yet. about Technoir. That is my favorite thing <laughs> in the whole movie. Okay, go ahead. Uh Sarah stood stood up on a date, right? And so she then goes out on her own and Ginger is is going out with her boyfriend who we're introduced to as a bit of a creep. Um, there was something I wanted to mention about Sarah Connor. Why do they take great pains to try and make her kooky? Like she talks to the statue when she gets to the diner. Yeah, you know, she I, has a pet lizard. Okay, so I think what what they're trying to do here, given what happens to her, this you can see it. And and I will say also the contrast between that character in this movie and the next movie is breathtaking. Like. The effect of this movie on her in the next movie is one of the things you miss if you haven't seen this movie is just how much her life changes because of what happens here. But in this, they want her to be the stock, a stock, you know, young woman from an 80s, you know, comedy, basically. They want her to be kooky and... She's got a bad job, but she's just a regular girl. That's what they want. They're, they're trying very hard to establish that so that they can... Because I, I really believe James Cameron, the writer and director of this, felt like that was what this movie was, was a a collision of a you know murderous robot time travel action movie with an 80s movie, like an 80s teen movie. I think that's what his premise kind of was. And so they really try to sell you on Sarah Connor's quirky life before it gets completely ruined. Right. 
Because there, just... there is a rom-com element here, right? Because, or, or at least it, it's not, it, there's rom, not so much com, but it is that, right? Because she meets uh, Kyle Reese and and they have their sort of love story that, that runs through it a little bit too. So th- th- clearly he's trying, Cameron is trying to have that be part of the, part of the storyline here is like a movie that you've seen before, but it's, but um, the Terminator has come in to ruin it all. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's just like the lizard thing. I was like, really? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Like, there are maybe other ways to do this. I don't know what they are, but like it just seemed like a really strange, just like a really strange choice. All the stuff with the roommate choice. is weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sarah goes out on her own and she stood up and she's in a, a pizza place and she finds out on the TV that there are other Sarah Connors and she puts two and two to like another Sarah Connors is killed. So she yeah. kind of, Connor, I keep calling her Connors. Sarah yeah. Connor is killed and she kind of puts two and two together and works out that she's probably in trouble. Right. right, that there is a strong chance that she is in trouble. Um, but she then leaves the pizza place on her own. Like she just yeah. she leaves and she starts running and she's getting um, she's getting like kind of tailed uh, by Reese. She doesn't know yep. at this point, but she thinks it's a problem. Um, so she then ducks into the bar, Tech Noir, Noir, which is a great name for a bar because uh-huh. it's terrible. Um, it is and and the and it is terrible it's the tech themed nightclub the swinging nightclub of tech noir (laughs) and then uh it's bad it's so bad she tries to call the police has no luck Mm -hmm. and then we we flash back to the apartment and uh terminator has arrived and kills ginger thinking that it might be sarah right then uh unfortunately sarah calls um, she calls the answer machine and gives her location on yes. the answer machine. Now, I have an issue with this, which I'll get back to in a moment. Because initially, I'm like, okay, I can kind of see this, right? You're in trouble, and you like you need to say, like, I am here. I'm at this specific place. This is the phone number. Please try and find me. Like, the police aren't helping me. Like, I can't get through to them. Um, then it kind of goes back to Sarah. She calls the police. She finally gets through. The detective says, stay there. We're sending a police car. They're going to be right there, right? The police are currently scrambling the city trying to find this person, right? Mm-hmm. Then Arnie is there. How did he get there so quick? Like, all she does is she hangs up the efficiency? phone. She sits down, and he is outside the... the she, he has arrived at the nightclub, right? Now, we know, know he doesn't move mega fast. He, he cannot run quicker than any human because there nope. are many chase scenes on foot. Um, yep. He may have gotten in a car or some kind of vehicle to get there. But all that would tell me is that Tech Noir is very close in proximity uh, to, to her apartment. Her apartment. Yeah. So if that's the case, yep. why did she need to be so specific on the phone to Ginger about yeah. where this place is? You know, I would say it's kind of a horror movie trope that's happening here, which yeah. is that the bad guy pops up immediately. Yep. You, you left out a couple of things that I wanted to mention, which is uh, when the roommate and her boyfriend are killed, um, there's a scene where they don't know that the, the Terminator is there because she's like wearing a Walkman. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. And and it's I felt like that was the message. Like, you're shutting out the world, you kids and your Walkmans. <laughs> and also also when she's uh, when she's doing this, she's making herself like the largest sandwich in the biggest history with like those ants on a log and a big glass I, of milk. I don't know what she's making anyway, uh, but she dies and it's, it's, it's very sad. So uh, yeah, then Arnold is there and he's going to kill another Sarah Connor because that's what he's been sent back to do. But Kyle Reese is also there 
And just as as Arnie is about to put a bullet into Sarah, he pulls out the shotgun that he took from earlier. We find out that he is a good guy because he, yeah. he, he takes some shots at Arnie. The club clears, but unfortunately, many people are caught in the crossfire. So there are there are many deaths at Technoir. Sorry, Technoir. That's why yeah. Technoir is no longer a good name for a no club. longer in business <laughs> because yep. yep because of the the unfortunate. It came robot to be massacre. known as the as the Technoir killings, so they uh, they had to change it. Also, uh, not only does he shoot Arnold, and we we basically learn that he's a robot at this point. This is mm-hmm. the this is the reveal for people who didn't know what this movie was about. Yep. Right, is that he's a he's a cyborg or whatever, and that and that Kyle Reese is the good guy. But what Kyle says to Sarah here is important for Terminator Two because he says, "Come with me if you want to live." Yeah, I wrote that down. That's a, I know that line is then said by Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, as the Terminator in Terminator Two. Interesting. Yeah. Then they they make a run for it and. The Terminator, he takes a police car, right? And this is where we find out that he can imitate voices. Right. Which makes me wonder why he has the accent that he has. Why did the Terminator settle on on that accent? If I he think he any? was. I think the voice uh, synthesizer was programmed by an Austrian man. <laughs> I guess so, right? It's just interesting to me. It's like he can choose any voice. That was but, the one that he chose. There's nothing he wrong with an Austrian accent. It's just like why in the did future. They go there? In the future, robot accents sound Austrian. They merge the robot accent and the Austrian accent. That must have been it. That must have been where the technology was developed. Because Mm -hmm. we find out that the machines started a nuclear war. It feels very much like sneakers to me. They they created defense systems. The defense systems realized that humans were the problem, and they wanted everybody dead. And they're going to kill everyone. However... Sarah's future son. This is Kyle Reese, who's come from the future, is explaining all of this. Yeah. Sarah's future son uh, will save humanity, and that's why they want her to be killed. Yeah, this is this is uh, in my notes. It's just written down as then he recounts the plot of Terminator Two because <laughs> it's like literally he's just saying this is what will happen in Terminator Two. The machines they'll send somebody back that they'll try to kill your son. It's like okay, got it, got it. Write that down for later. Um, but. This is also when he's giving her the premise about who the Terminator is. Um, that I like, I really like this part because it 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 makes it clear that this is a monster movie that you're actually watching. You're yeah. watching like the ultimate monster movie. He, the line that he says is, "It can't be bargained with or reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or fear. It won't stop until you are dead." So the idea that this is a relentless killing machine, you are its focus. Mm-hmm. We got to run, and that's what the rest of the movie is. And yeah. I, I think a modern movie, a 2017 movie, would get to this in four minutes. Um, but in in 1984, there's a lot of time spent with you know mystery and setup and and flavor of like her life and who she is. And you have to get to this point where it's like, okay, this is what this movie is now. Yeah, is and a, we're like an hour in. Yeah, a relentless killing machine is going to kill you, and we are going to try to stop it. Now let's go, and that's it. Uh, there's a car chase and the cars crash and the Terminator escapes in more mystery, you know, like in more magic. The the robot magic that he has, he can he yes. can escape in a flash. Movie movie monster magic, yeah. This is where Sarah and Reese are arrested and Sarah is kind of taken into protective custody and uh, Reese is, is interviewed and obviously they don't believe his story, right, because he sounds like a crazy right. person. They're in the police station and yeah. she's, she, they send a psychologist to talk to her who's an awful awful person yep 
um, and he, you know, that he kind of says, "Oh, I can make my life's work on this man," right? Because he like, mm-hmm. fully believes his, his what he's saying. Uh, we also see at this point Terminator operating on himself, including the the where he pulls out an eyeball, which made me oh, just I couldn't. Yep, I just the exacto nope. knife to the eyeball. That's like, oh yeah. But the, after he does this, the prosthetic makeup, like, is so bad. Yeah, it just yeah, looks yeah. like a dead man is moving. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like I said, it's a it's a monster movie, and uh-huh. yeah, it's not the best. Yeah, and and it's then a they, cheap monster. Movie. I love how they get out of it by having him like he puts on sunglasses and then he's back to regular Arnie face. Yeah, that's right. right. That's how you hide it. Good work, everyone. But it's I don't know. I don't know why they chose such a close up on that face. Like it's like yeah, all the whole screen is just full of fake face. Like there is yeah, they really shouldn't have done it that way. It reminds me of Rogue One, right? Where like they they create like CGI people, but spend way too much time focusing on the CGI people. It's like just pull pull back. This reflections totally fine. Um, especially he's looking in a mirror, right? Just like do the shot over his shoulder in the mirror. Like I know what yeah. I know. You're super proud of yourself, but it, it can't have looked good even then. Like I can't imagine it did. It feels like a shot from a horror movie where there's like the guy who did the fake blood and the fake skin is like, it's so cool. Look at that fake blood. And they're like, all right, I'll put a shot of your fake blood in the movie. Yeah. But it's not that, it's not that great. But so he goes to the police station and yep. uh, we get that line that you've been looking for. I'll be back. Cause yeah. he just, uh, he sizes up the, the, the wall and then just drives a car through it, which is great. Yeah. See, this is, this is the thing is, is I, I knew the line before I'd seen this movie. Right. And when it comes I just started laughing because it's really funny, right? It's like, you know, sir, you know, you're a visitor. We got a lot going on here. And he and he just says, I'll be back. <laughs> and he leaves and drives a car right through the police station. It's like, he, he, he's back. He, he, he kept his promise. It's just the, the brutality of it and how he's just like, I'll be back. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's, there's a reason that move, that is a catchphrase. That is a great moment. He then makes short work of the police force. Just massacre. Yes. Like, absolutely. We got 30 massacre. guys here. Yep. He just kills all the, all the all cops. Yeah. Every single one of them doesn't even care. No one even gets close to him. He just destroys them. Like, I love mm-hmm. it. Like, a couple of times he's like doing stuff and taking bullets. It's like, ugh, man, ugh. Like, that's all it is. Like, ah, this is frustrating. And it just kills everybody. Yeah. Um, but Sarah and uh, Reese, they escape. Yes. With the and- help of a very fast synth- synthesizer running in the background. <laughs> I do wonder why the cyborg can't run faster. I think it's a trade-off, right? To to do you want the the I, I don't know. I, I've got I've got some headcanon I could give you about how that they they built this cyborg to be shaped like Arnold Schwarzenegger because they went for speed, they went for strength over speed, or perhaps the size of the metal casing is so great that they just can't. You know, they have to have a beefy a beefy skin to put on them because they're just, they just, it, it's obviously not built for speed. It's if not a running skin is Terminator. slowing him down. He just ripped the leg skin off. No, and but just I, run what after I'm him. saying is the skin is covering the big metal exoskeleton. Uh, okay. So it's the, it's the weight of the exoskeleton. They don't make terminators in small. Okay. Or speedy. He's also metal. That's really heavy. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I say about it. This is not, he's not meant to, he's not meant to need to run, right? He can just kill everybody. I think that's the idea. So then uh, there's like a scene with like kind of Kyle 
and Kyle Reese and Sarah kind of they're kind of getting close to each other, telling more stories, just explaining more about kind of like how all of this happened, why he was the one who came back, like you know all that sort of stuff. He doesn't know the full right. story yet. We find that out later, but like there's like a, a flashback scene, and he has a picture of her and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's, it's yeah, you can see so there's going to be romance. Yeah, your there. son had a picture of you. This is a little time travel business, right? Your son had a picture of you. You were young like you are now, but you seemed so sad. Um, and this is your romantic, uh, kind of like romantic moment mm-hmm. here that happens between them. But we'll pause um, that for just one second. Yes, because they're in a hotel room, right? They're in mm-hmm. a they're in a motel room. Um, they're kind of holed up there. They've got a dog that they've got outside because uh, dogs can detect the cyborgs. Terminators. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Just whatever. Yeah, that's kind of cool. well. It's creepy. Yeah. Earlier, you see you see Arnold walking, and there's dogs barking everywhere. And yeah. It's like all right, that's kind of like a that. Clue. It's like that's a cool thing. Yeah. Um, at the hotel, Reese is going to go out to get supplies. He gives Sarah a handgun. Mm-hmm. No point. <laughs> Why does he do that? I don't know. At this point, you, we know that you can't kill a the Terminator with a, him. Yeah. yeah. Why does she? Right. Why does he give her a handgun? Why does know. he even have one? It's pointless. I don't know, man. Like yeah. this. This is like part of like. I see these things immediately when I watch them, and I just wonder how it got in the yeah, movie. Yeah, you're right. It's it's action movie trope, right? Like, instead, it should be like, can you give me a gun or something? And have him say, what would be the point? If he exactly. finds you, a gun's not going to stop him, right? Yep. And that's instead, it's like, sure, have a gun. It, Stay it doesn't here. make any sense to me. Yeah, no, it's, it's like action movie. It's a stock action movie moment, and that's why it's in there. Yep. Then uh, uh, I really like this part um, where she's on the phone to her mom. Her mom's in a cabin. Mm-hmm. And like her mom's like, why don't you come here? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm in the place. Like, why won't you tell me where I am? And like, she, expl- she explains where she is. And Terminator's just gone and found the mom, killed the mom, and is doing the voice changing thing. Yep, I thought that was pretty cool. I like that. That that yep. was pretty. They that re- pretty them, cool. and that's a, a, one of those things. I mean, Terminator Two in many ways is a a remake of this with a twist because so few people saw this compared to Terminator Two. But right, um, that and that's a, that's an effective scene that is is doubled in Terminator Two. It's it's yeah, he's he's gone to the parents and. And uh, and has used her, her mother's voice to to uh, impersonate her mother and get the information. So yeah, there's a there's a romantic tie beginning between the two of them, which culminates in an extremely extensive, over the top, and unnecessary sex scene. Like, yep, what what the hell? Yep, all the things. Everything this movie dumped in all the things. It, it came out of nowhere. <laughs> And it was oh, wasted, lasted yeah. for way longer than I expected, and there was way more detail to it all. Yeah. And look, I know what they're trying to do, but it's not needed, right? Like, they did a- this because they want to set up the fact that, that Reese is the dad. But you never needed to see this. I feel like they're like, it's a rated R movie, we're going to get away with it because it's a rated R movie, so let's put it in. Let's give people some of, some of this, too. But yeah, the 80s was a weird It was a weird time. Also, Michael Bean, and, and I had a debate with this with Erica Ensign on The Incomparable about it, because um, she thinks he's dreamy. And I just think he is a not particularly charismatic kind of blank. And mm-hmm. I, I kept thinking that the, this relationship might have been more effective if there was an actor who was a little more uh, charismatic. But she said, no, absolutely not. So... You know, your mileage it's may vary. It's not the relationship that I have an issue with. It is the extensiveness of this scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. I get it. I just I wanted to mention. I wanted to take my shot at Michael Bean, uh, while when I could. I do. I think he's. I think he's kind of boring. But yeah, it is extensive. I do totally not buy that she falls in love with him like this. 
Like, I don't get it. I mean, maybe it's because she's just looking up to him because he saved her life, right? Like, and that's kind of swept her up in the whole thing. I can totally see that. But it's, it's like, as well, like, she mentions, like, at the end of the movie, like, we had a lifetime of love in the few hours we were together. I didn't see this happening. No. When did this happen? No, they, have, they had one conversation under, like, an underpass, and then they went to the hotel room, and then that was it. Yeah. Yeah, Jay, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's shorthand here, but we're we're asked to believe that in between all the scenes we saw, amazing things happen that we didn't see, which happens in in a lot of movies, and it's definitely true in this one, where you know the movie is really banking on you kind of going from point A to point B and believing that there was stuff that connected them in the middle, and if you can believe it, then it works for you. But if you leave that gap, it's too wide a gap, then it won't work for you. And I agree here; it, it doesn't seem. They kind of overdo it with the, with the you know lifetime of love thing. I, I mean, I would actually understand it more if it was more like they're on the run. You know, he they just barely escape with their lives. They uh, they are together. They're two young, attractive people. They have sex, and then you know later it's like, well, he he was a great guy. He saved my life. We shared a moment, and now I have a baby. But it, that's not what she says. Yeah. <laughs> this lifetime of love thing. It's like what? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's like they're adding romance in, in a way that doesn't comport with the the like what they've shown. It just it's it's really strange. Yeah. Now the eighties was a weird time. I think maybe also there's the idea that they want to since these are our heroes, they want to have it be that that it was an act of love that uh that created John Connor when you know the the performances and and uh, scenes don't really show it being an act of love per se. <laughs> uh, they're like, look, we're just going to go with it. We need to do that. We need to, we need to have it be meaningful because otherwise it's just, it's just uh, sex in a hotel, sex in a motel somewhere. It's like, that's not enough. That's what I was trying to get at. Like, I understand yeah. that, but the wholesomeness of doing that doesn't comport with the graphicness of the sex scene. I, yeah, I know. It's weird. This it's is why I can't like, wrap again, my head around it. It's Yeah. You're not wrong. So then there's another car chase. Uh, Reese is hurt in this car chase a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then they, they they crash a car, car flips over, they're getting away, and the Terminator commandeers a fuel truck. Yeah. Which cannot outrun a human, turns out, that uh, Sarah Connor can run faster than this truck can drive. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how long this chase is running on for. Like we're looking at a good couple of minutes. That she, or, you know, like in real time, that she is outrunning this truck. Just doesn't make any sense. Like they're going down a straight road at one point. At yeah. one point, he's coming down a hill and he cannot get to <laughs> speed to catch her. And also, as well, so they've created bombs earlier. He doesn't right? know how to drive a truck. He's got the gears no. in the wrong gears. No, and... because he scans it, which I thought was pretty yeah, cool, I know. right? Like, he scans it and can instantly understand how to operate the machine, which I did quite mm-hmm. like. I was like, yeah, look, you took time to fill that plot hole. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and then they make bombs earlier in the movie. Uh, Reese throws a bomb into a hole in the back of the gas truck so it will explode. He jumps into a dumpster to protect himself from the explosion, but just doesn't give any warning to Sarah, who's like yeah. in front of the thing running. It's like, thanks, dude. Like, you just go yeah. protect yourself. <laughs> um, the the nice truck explosion, explodes. Though. Great yeah. explosion. And I love all the fire scenes, right? Like him being on fire and that all looked really good. Um, I bought all of that, um, but there we get 
terrible stop motion robot yeah, Terminator. Yeah, it's a Ray Harryhausen style uh, King Kong, you know, stop motion. Robot. I don't know why they did this because they have scenes where they've got like an animatronic right from the shoulder up. They should have yeah. just used that all the time. All of the stop motion stuff it looks ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's a case of they wanted to they wanted to have that full on robot, and so they do the stop motion version, and and it didn't turn out maybe like they hoped, but that was what they had to use, so they used yeah, it. it. But yeah, it, it is. It's it's really it's really dated. Yeah, I, I feel like they could have just gone like Kermit the Frog with it, and just like shown torso and then moving legs. You know, yeah. like just shots of that, like because yeah, done done like a a, a lower leg puppet and then yeah. the upper leg animatronic, yeah. and just not even. Yeah, because or ha- or have it oh. be very brief of like a cutaway and then and cut green back, screen but. technology is not good enough, right? At this yeah, no, point it's tough. in time, it's when tough. they're they're closing yeah. the door and it's like a clear green screen, like it's 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 not very good. Yeah, um, but you know, the, there's like this big fight and they they he puts another bomb into the rib cage of the Terminator and explodes. And are they in know, the factory now? Is that what factory, you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, so I. Re- I like a lot of things in the fact. I mean, this is, I think it's very it's good action scenes here. The the action stuff here is is really good as it builds to the climax here in the factory. There's a funny moment, you know, that the uh, it's a robotic factory, which I really like because it's like the Terminator walks into the robotic factory and it's like, hey, it's my people. <laughs> here they are. Hey guys. Yeah, he said hey, something robots. here about why turning the robots on would help, and I couldn't catch it. Yeah, he said something about like it will it will mean that we can't they can't track us or something. Yeah, I don't know. They're they're they're. Uh, yeah yeah but anyway so they're in the robot factory and then he sticks a bomb in the terminator hmm. boom yeah and it blows the terminator up kills kyle reese right like kills this kills him kill, yeah sarah's wounded and kyle kyle is dead yeah but this the, t- the terminator will not stop it's a horror movie right it's yep. a horror movie monster so the terminator even with all of that the terminator has been blown apart but is not mm-hmm. dead it's still got its kind of upper body yeah, and also Sarah is injured, like she's hurt her leg, like yeah. her leg has been pierced in one of the explosions. She t- got out completely unscathed from the gas truck exploding. Um, but but so you get that another classic suspense thing here, where she is slowed, but the Terminator is also slowed because it's just parts of the Terminator now. Yep. So she's crawling away, and it's crawling to get her. Yeah, and um, then she like pulls down this grate, like, and it gets its arm through, and it nearly kills her with yeah. the arm, but. Uh, then she presses a button on the, and like well, basically the tunnel they just crawled through is a machine. It's a hydraulic press yep. that they've crawled they've crawled through, and now she crushes him and says, and that, "You're terminated." Yeah, yeah, you're terminated, and that that got him. Um, that's it. Then we kind of flash forward in time, and Sarah is on the road. She's in Mexico, yeah. Uh, she's recording tapes of her thoughts to uh, her unborn baby. You can see she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she stops at a at a gas station. A child takes a photo of her, which she has to pay. She has to pay four bucks to get it, right? And uh, she's like, "Oh, great hustle!" And this is the photo that it will be left for the baby to give yeah, but- to Kyle Reese in the future. Yep. Right. Um, and I like here that they they actually address the timeline, which I well, I quite like that actually, where like she addresses that everything has to happen for it to happen. Yeah, which is something is usually glossed over in a lot of time travel movies, right? But they actually address the timeline, like it, that it all makes sense within that. Uh, and I I thought okay, good. I'm pleased that you did that. Um, and then oh god, 
There's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. I know. Oh. Really? Yeah. Really? Like, it's not a storm, you know? <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't a storm that sent all these robots crazy. Uh, <laughs> they don't like the weather. They don't like the wind. <laughs> wind makes robots very angry. Yep. I don't know. The, term- the Terminator. Can you see why this? Why people liked this movie? Like the action. I mean, this is a. I'll say this too. If you think about Schwarzenegger '80s action movies, like this is viewed as an action movie. It's like, oh, this this has a lot more than your usual action movie or your usual monster movie. It's got it's got the uh, it's got the the extra time travel twist and the fact that he's a relentless not vampire or a zombie or something, but he's a cyborg. Like viewed in the in the context of kind of crappy '80s action movies. I th- uh, which Arnold Schwarzenegger made a lot of, along with Sylvester Stallone and a bunch of other people. I think this movie comes a, a, out as as being a standout, but viewed from uh, another perspective, it is you know it it is what it is. It is it is a product of that genre. Yeah, that, that for me it's just the special effects are bad, but I can excuse them. Yeah. No, the action's good and the special effects are bad. The music is bad. Yeah. And and the just the common sense holes, like, they just really frustrate me because some of them just feel so simple. Um, and, 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 uh, and they, and, like, you know, namely um, the speed in which Arnie can travel to places but can't run right. fast enough to catch yeah. anybody on foot. Um, the, yeah, that's horror movie logic. Yeah. yeah, the 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 I know it, this is all horror movie stuff, right? But this isn't a horror movie. Like I know there are horror movie tropes in it, but like I'm less willing to accept it because an action movie and action movies tend to be based more on reality. Um and also there is no mystical. You know, like w- with monsters in horror movies, there is a, you know, like oh, what is powering this monster? Is there magic involved? But like we know that's not the case because we know this is a cyborg. Like we know what Terminator is. Like he's explained to us clearly, like what this thing is and what it's capable of. Um, and yeah, and there there are just things in it that I just didn't like. And, and the action scenes were good, but they weren't really good enough. The and the, the relationships between everybody are, is just weird in a way that doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, yeah, I did this. This movie didn't float my boat. Fair enough. I think it's. I think it's good to have seen it, and there's some fun things in it. It is dated. It launched a huge franchise, so I think that alone makes it worth seeing. I totally can see how Terminator 2 is better than Terminator. And we should watch that at some point, because it is a it is a movie that is, in most ways, maybe not all, but in most ways, maybe all, actually, <laughs> superior to this one. But I, I think it is good to have seen this, because there are payoffs in Terminator 2 in 1991, you know, seven years later, that uh, really work better when you, you know, just seeing Sarah in Terminator 2, you're like, oh my God, right? Like she is completely different than the soft uh, diner waitress that okay. we meet here. Um, and so seeing them in succession, there, the, there's those payoffs and come with me if you want to live. The fact that that Terminator is sent back to protect John Connor. So Arnold Schwarzenegger goes from being the villain in this movie to the hero in the yeah. next movie yeah. is a brilliant twist on it. But again, I feel like it plays better if you can see where it starts and then see the twist. So for these reasons, I think it's kind of required viewing um, or at least it helps a lot. 
But yeah, it's not a movie I, I, I revisit a lot. It was fun to revisit it, but it's not a movie that I, I consider essential in any other way. But now you're literate on it. Now people can talk about the Terminator and they'll say something and you'll be like, actually, I think that was Terminator too because I just saw the Terminator. I can tell you what's in that one. It's, is it techno music? Is it you know electronic music te- from techno noir come back? 1982? Did tech noir? Yeah. Tech noir, I don't believe, reappears. No. Sorry. When we open a nightclub, me and you, when we're done with this tech- podcast game... Mike and Jason's Tech Noir? Yep. That's what we'll call it. If you want to find our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 129. Thanks again to our sponsors, Text Expander, Eero, Encapsula, and Squarespace. If you want to find Jason online, he is over at sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com, and on Twitter at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. And he and I am uh, at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Bye, everybody. I'll be back. There it is. There it is. It's like, what's happening? Look at the movies. I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) 